everybody welcome to the matt townsend show i am your host dr matt townsend your coach your guide on the side welcome to the program three hours of uh, interesting information our goal here on the show is to give you the tools you need to live longer love stronger and of course lead the ones you're with somebody's got to start leading this crazy thing we call life and welcome to the program Man, James back in the house. It's uh it's a miracle, James. You were gone yesterday again. Yeah. Are is there a problem? <laughs> Do we if, need to worry? No, no. If you if you call that problem college, <laughs> then I guess yes, there would be a problem. So you're feeling the stress? Is it finals week? When's final? When are the finals? Finals week is in about 2 weeks. Okay. But it's final project season. So Ah. You know, you can let us help you. We're here to help, James. You don't have to just call in and not come to work. Come to work while you're here. We'll help you do your project. Deal. Okay. Not like that. What is your project? Well, I have to... So like a diorama or <laughs> kind of thing or no? A uh, uh, hanger sculpture that I need yeah, to make. It's got uh, a, a paper planets. mache project of some kind? No, it's it's a video for a client uh, proposing a... A campaign for them. So, do you need me to voice something? I'll sure. voice something. You'll voice voice something. Last night, I voiced my son's uh, stu- or class office video. He's running for class officer, and I voiced it. But it sounds like this. That's a great radio voice. Thanks. Good to be with you. Please don't. That's how I got the job here. They're like Matt. Let's hear your radio voice. And I'm like, Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Sousen Show. So good to be with you. Yeah. That's good radio. No. <laughs> that is incredible radio. <laughs> so if you want me to voice something, just let me know. I'm here all day. Okay. I'm, I'm here all day. If I'm not, if you can't, if you come to my office and I don't seem to be there, I'm there. He's under the desk. Look under the desk. Yeah, I was going to ask, Is this? would you be, be willing to sacrifice your nap time? Because I know... Yeah, the three hours after the show that just don't come. You you can get me right after the show, okay? Or you can get me three hours after that. Don't come at any time in between, <laughs> okay? And don't knock, don't knock. And if my lights are off, walk away. Some people keep knocking. Drives me crazy. It's like I'm asleep. Go away. Leave me alone. <laughs> Consultation hours. Mine. I got to get my robe on, and then I got to answer the door. The slippers. <laughs> my slippers. You laugh, but I try it. I do it every day. My office is right at the end of a hallway. So I have and, – and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but I get distracted easily. Yeah. And uh, Squirrel. A squirrel. It's a shiny object. And so every time someone walks down the hall, I end up catching eye contact, and then we have to have a conversation. I'm not dissuading anybody. I don't want to – Turn people away, but yeah, you do. Just shut the door. I think I just need to turn my back. But then I've learned you can't always just sit there with your back turned to a bunch of people because you could get knifed or shanked. I learned that in prison. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I don't know. It just seems kind of funny. You in prison? 
you you do live near one, so I go to prison all the time. That's why we're hoping they move to prison, so my property value can go up, and I can quit looking for uh, people with criminal records in my neighborhood. Speaking of prison, yes. Yesterday we talked about uh, two guys that decided to drive a SUV into the security barriers at the NSA right. in Fort Meade, Maryland. Ugh. Um, what was that about? Two men dressed yeah. as women. Okay. Rammed a car into the gate leading into the NSA. Security personnel responded by opening fire. Oh, man. A, uh, an NSA police vehicle blocked the road, so there was another SUV that crashed into this one. Two guys were uh, drunk, under the influence, dressed as women, and for some reason decided to go to the NSA and try to bust their way in. And one of them w- was killed, yes. right? One now- was killed. There was an a NSA officer injured. Their, their odds were a lot better of trying to, like, break into the White House. You don't. Yeah. I mean, well, it, it, the Fort Meade is a military base. Yeah. So you yeah. have that on top of the fact that it's the NSA headquarters. And then they blow and, a few – they blew through a few barricades before yes. they got there. They have some more passive-type security, mm-hmm. like stop, you know, stop, check your ID us, kind of thing. Yeah. And then they have, like, cement blocks that come up out of the ground. Uh-huh. And, yeah. Have you seen those? <laughs> You know what it is, though? You, you never trust a guy in a dress. No. A man shows up in a dress, there's a problem. Well, did they ever get to, like, what their – were they just no. coming back from a fun party? Or, the, yeah. or was – There's been some uh, reports I've seen that possibly there was some drugs in the car, that there was a party involved and these kind of things, but none, none hard, you know, solidified yeah. details are still coming out. But, but this wasn't crazy. the ISIS cross-dressing. No. Okay. This is guys messing around. Okay, good. I mean, good that it wasn't a terrorist attack. The uh, Iranian nuclear talks continue. The deadline is today yes. no, but help me for with a the framework. Deadline. What's yes. the deadline? Like, uh, the White set- House set a deadline okay. saying we want a framework for an agreement. Okay. So the framework needs to be set today. Yeah. They want an agreement in June. We we need more frameworks deadlines. So they're saying there's a fifty fifty chance that we could, that there will be this framework. Well, and the, the deal is because in June uh, the the Congress can start taking um, they can start adding more. What are they called? Uh, I need the word. Amendments? Well, they can start actually Agreements? putting more restrictions on Iran in June. Oh, okay. So the president's kind of got a deadline to try to beat Congress before Congress starts adding more uh, ret- retribution driving restrictions against Iran. I don't know what to call those. Sanctions. Sanctions. There we go. I was trying so to be- by August, more sanctions can be placed by Congress. That's why President Obama apparently is in a hurry. So you have the top diplomats from the five permanent members of the UN Security Council and Germany. Yeah. They're all meeting with Iran trying to bridge this gap and trying to figure out. And we're getting an closer apparently. Yes. And it could be a 15-year moratorium. So so this is really just – this whole on- process is to buy us 15 years – so Iran will be regulated and watched, and they can't build a nuclear arsenal. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And I don't know if you've heard this this law in Indiana. Yeah, that's causing it's kind some of a problems. big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mayor of Indianapolis has asked that the state's general assembly to add sexual orientation as a protected class. Okay. Saying he's issued an executive order that city money must be used in accordance with the human rights ordinance that the city has passed and order city employees to ignore the Religious Freedom Restoration Act signed by the governor. Oh, wow. 
Uh, he goes on, the state has faced nationwide condemnation and boycotts. Our city thrives because we have welcomed and embraced diversity. And this new uh, act threatens what thousands have spent decades building, said Mayor Greg Ballard of Indianapolis. Yeah. Front page of the Indianapolis Star today is big, white letters, black background, says fix this now, <laughs> editorial from the from the paper. Oh, boy. The governor, Mike yep. Pence, took to the Wall Street Journal in an op-ed today in defense of the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, arguing the law contains no reference to sexual orientation. It simply mirrors federal law that President Bill Clinton signed in 93. Pence uh, wrote the law only provides a mechanism to address claims, not a license for private parties to deny services. Right. So it's a mechanism, not permission. See, the minute you have to do all of this other talk, yeah. you're well, already in the hole. They, they passed it, signed in it on Thursday. They've been trying to explain it since then. It's kind of one of those jokes. Yeah. When you say the joke, yeah. nobody gets nobody it, and you have it. to explain it. It's really not funny at and, that point. And yeah, yeah. But yeah. And by the time you're explaining it, it's, you really know it's not funny. Yeah. And that's, that's when you know that you have a bad law. Mm-hmm. Maybe you need to go back and address something. Maybe you change something up. I mean, when the NCAA, when Duke is responding. To the to the law, yeah, it's you're in trouble. It's bad. It's a bad. It's a bad moment. So that that's going on. We'll see if they make any adjustments here in the next few days. Well, good. That's a great little update. And uh, sleep. What do you think? Are you getting enough sleep? Would you believe that getting enough sleep is key, even to your weight loss? Do you believe that you could actually gain weight simply because you're not sleeping enough? Diabetes goes up. Other things. We're going to be learning. Uh, Dr. John Klein is going to be joining us from Psychology Today. He's a blogger there. He's going to be talking to us about our sleep habits and the impact they have on our health, our weight. Hang on, folks. Sleep. That's the next topic up on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. A little Aerosmith for you in the morning. Dream on! You know what? you got to dream on, my friends, because you may not be getting the sleep you need. That was the greatest thing. Last night, I'm sitting with a 99-and-a-half-year-old man who has a hard time sleeping. And uh, my wife asked him, do you, do you have dreams? Oh, it's so sad. No, he said, uh, I, but I have a nightmare that keep, I keep having. He keeps having a nightmare at 99 and a half years old. (sighs) Dream on, my friend. So here's the deal. Do you get enough sleep? Do you even know the repercussions of not getting enough sleep? Dr. John Klein is joining us. You know, of today more than ever before, schedules are demanding, deadlines are looming. We are constantly trying to prioritize our lives, and we simply don't still have enough time for everything that's important. What we tend to neglect most, though, is sleep. And from uh, whether you're a college student pulling an all-nighter or a new parent or whatever the reason, 
this lack of sleep can have serious uh, consequences to your health. Dr. John Klein's joining us. He's a licensed psychologist and diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine. He's here to talk to us about the dangers of little sleep. Dr. Klein, welcome to the show. Hi, Matt. How are you? Good, good, good. Great to have you on. Uh, Great to be here. I love to learn about sleep. Uh, I started this new morning show here. I used to be on the afternoons and Ever since I started the morning show, I'm getting up about 4.30 in the morning, which I have decided uh, is not good for your health. It's not good for your health. That makes you a uh, shift worker, and uh, that definitely has some implications uh, for how you feel and function during the day. Now, we know sleep, you know, it makes you feel rested, but teach us what is really, what do we use sleep for anyway? What's going on in our bodies while we're sleeping? Yeah, it's pretty profound. I mean, there are many different things that are happening. Um, And actually, nobody knows exactly why we sleep, but it seems like uh, probably some of the major functions is that it helps conserve energy. Uh, It probably allows for a lot of uh, brain chemistry changes to occur that help with uh, memory consolidation. you know, so there, there are lots of things that happen. It actually allows certain chemicals to be cleaned out of the brain that kind of give you a fresh start for the, for the next day. Uh, the timing of uh, different kinds of hormonal release uh, revolves around sleep. So uh, it actually is really critical for uh, regular functioning of the human body. And, in fact, you know, all the way down to, like, uh, fruit flies, everything we've looked at, every animal we know of on the planet uh, seems to need some form of sleep. Hmm. And it's interesting, memory consolidation you mentioned, hormone release. So, I mean, is this where the brain is doing the sorting of our thoughts and our days and our memories, and it's trying to put it all in some structure? That really seems to be what's happening, yeah. I mean, there are uh, some interesting uh, work that's been done with neural networks, and it indicates that in uh, deep sleep, there's actually a reduction of uh, the strength of synaptic connections, and that would be sort of like, you know, the analogy of cleaning the chalkboard. You know, I know uh-huh. nobody uses chalkboards yeah. anymore, but it's sort of like that uh, to give you a fresh start on the, the new day. It, it does mean that memories get weakened as a result of that, but you probably don't want to remember exactly where you parked your car five years ago. You don't really need that. So there's something about that cleaning out. And then also with the uh, the dream sleep, uh, there seems to be something that occurs there. Again, kind of a sorting through of information, releasing uh, what's not needed, uh, helping out with storage of what is. And there are things called sleep spindles that occur during stage two sleep that seem to be at least possibly related to the transfer of information from short-term to long-term store through the hippocampus. So there are probably a lot of different functions that uh, different aspects of sleep are occurring. So, you know, one way that we're thinking about sleep now is it's sort of like nutrition. I mean, this is an analogy, but, you know, there are different stages of sleep, and so you want to have a good... Uh, balanced diet of all the different stages of sleep. And in order to get that, you really need to have enough time in bed and enough quality of sleep to do that. But each one probably has some different function. Um, Hmm. And so they're all important. Well, and in fact, a study that we just uh, found uh, was talking about the lack of sleep may increase uh, the risks of obesity, of diabetes, your waistline. How is sleep connected to your waistline? Well, empirically, this is uh, a well-established fact now. This is in children and in adults. 
and uh, exactly why that may be is still being worked out. It's not as clear as the kind of cardiovascular effects that people know about, say, with sleep apnea and, um, you know, very low-quality sleep. But at least in the case of um, lack of uh, adequate amount of uh, time in bed, actually seems to change the uh, balance of leptin and ghrelin, which are two uh, hormones that actually regulate uh, appetite, energy balance in the body. And... um, What I'm going to say is just kind of speculative, but it's possibly that something is going on like if you're fatigued during the day and the brain is trying to figure out how to deal with that, uh, maybe one of the things you do is seek more energy. So uh, it's not really that you're in an energy deficit, but you may be hungry and basically, you know, trying to get more um, calories to to pump you up. And so over time, that could then uh, result in an increase in the amount of... uh, food you're consuming, and uh, weight gain. Wow. I mean, it really is your body. It's a system, right? So if you're neglecting one part, it's going to impact the other part and because your body's going to try to create a balance. Uh, yeah. It, b- body strives for homeostasis, and anything that throws that off is going to have an effect on it. Uh, one of the things that, uh, to go back to this thing about the obesity that I think is really interesting uh, is that, you know, ghrelin is released by the stomach when it hasn't been filled for a time, and that basically stimulates the brain to cause hunger. In the same way, once the uh, adipose tissue or the fat cells absorb enough nutrition, they begin to release uh, leptin that then signals, okay, I'm full, time to shut this process down. Those two uh, hormones get out of balance when people aren't getting adequate sleep. Hmm. What, what, so you so... have more hunger and less feeling of satisfaction. Yeah. And, and and then I mean then I all of a sudden you're gaining weight you're probably not exercising nearly as much you don't necessarily your, your metabolism changes and and off right. you go and 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 then you can you know as you begin to gain weight you start increasing your risk for uh, sleep apnea which then further damages the sleep and that's going to probably increase uh, weight gain which is going to make the apnea worse so you really do get a downward spiral with these over time. It's like, and as you begin to get into middle age, that becomes significant. I guess as as you age, anyway, is it is it harder to sleep? Yeah, you know, you're really bringing up a good point. Uh, studies done by Anatoly Israel uh, have indicated that over time, uh, it isn't the case that people actually need uh, less sleep. They probably don't, but getting sleep gets harder. You know, as you have all kinds of aches and pains and different kinds of things like that, it, um, or, you're, you know, you're getting up multiple times during the night to go to the bathroom, yeah. all these kind of things really uh, negatively impact on sleep. By the way, getting up at 4 in the morning doesn't help out with that either. No way. All right. I mean, I, and I used to do it when I was really young, and I thought, ah, it's not a big deal. But, it, and then, <laughs> right. but then my, it's interesting, too, because my kids stay up later. I have teenagers and... I need to go to bed at nine or ten, and they, you know, they're just coming alive. And but it's it's this right. pattern of, and I guess it was that normal that the teens want to stay up later. They just is something different with their brain than maybe a fifty year old's brain. Absolutely, yeah. You know, the thing is, uh, as you transition from childhood into the teenage years. Um, even irrespective of all the other things that we have now, like uh, electric lighting and computers that throw off a lot of blue light and things like that, uh, teens and early adults just tend to want to go to bed later and get up later. Hmm. 
that's just a natural thing. And then as you switch into adulthood, it goes back uh, toward, you know, going to bed at kind of the standard time, getting up at the standard time. And then as you get older, as you start getting, you know, into your 60s and 70s, uh, people begin to want to go to bed earlier and get up earlier. <laughs> It's, so there is this kind of change over time. There is there is kind of just a natural rhythm to apparently sleep and life. What what is the optimal amount? Is there such thing as the optimal amount of sleep? Well, you know, what the recommendation now is probably like 7 to 9 hours, Holy but cow. the reality is that it's it's really individualized. There are a few people, uh they're called short sleepers, and there've been some of the famous examples of them like John Kennedy, Bill Clinton, Churchill, uh, maybe Maggie Thatcher, but there are people who uh, seem to be able to get by on a fairly small amount of sleep and then maybe taking a few uh, naps during the day. They're pretty rare. Um, and then you do have some people who seem to really need more around nine hours to really feel uh, rested, but most people are probably going to do well around seven and a half or eight. So what grandmother used to tell us really is probably true. It's interesting, yeah, because they didn't have half the research that we have today, and yet seven yeah. and a half hours seems... Seems like uh, pretty much what I mean. I need, and and again, I, I guess when we do this, it's such a personal thing. Sleep is such a personal thing. Um, let's do this, John. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'd love you to to just give us some more tools, some more rules for how we can increase our sleep health and and um, understand better the benefits of napping. I'd like to know a little bit more about naps. I always joke about how I. It's not a joke. I always tell the truth about how I take a three-hour nap in the middle of the day. Um, but uh, Dr. John Klein's going to guide us on that and teach us about better sleep habits. We'll be right back. More on uh, the risks of not sleeping enough right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Sweet dreams are made of something. On the phone with us is Dr. John Klein. He is a professional staff on the professional staff of the Sleep Disorders Center of Connecticut and Waterbury Hospital Regional Sleep Lab. He is also an assistant clinical professor in the Department of Psychiatry at Yale University. And today he is teaching us about sleep. Uh, you can never, I mean, can you get too much sleep, John? Yeah, you know, you really can. Um, it's one of the really hard-to-explain uh, findings, but um, in large-scale epidemiological studies, it actually seems to be worse for your health to get too much sleep than too little. Huh. So people who sleep beyond nine hours uh, seem to have a higher morbidity and mortality than people who sleep less than six. And uh, that's when statistical correction is made for things like people who are ill, you know, maybe spending more time in bed. When you take all that out, um, that finding continues to persist. So uh, that, again, is where the analogy with uh, nutrition comes in. It may be that just as, at least in our society, overeating is worse than uh, at least some undereating, it may be that oversleeping is actually worse for your health than maybe cutting a little short on it. And you can a lot of times notice that with a nap, like a half hour nap can totally revitalize you, but an hour and a half nap tips you over. Right, right. And part of why that seems to be the case is that, uh, 
you know, because in a standard sleep cycle, which is about an hour and a half, you know, somewhere between 60 and 120 minutes long, uh, you're generally going through um, three stages of uh, deeper sleep and then the dream sleep period. And so if, um, if you're only sleeping about half an hour, chances are you're only going to get into stage two sleep. And when you come out of that, you'll actually be refreshed, but you won't have really reduced your overall daily drive to sleep. Um, it'd be like a light snack if mm. you want to use some nutrition um, idea again. And uh, it's probably not going to affect your nighttime sleep too much, um, particularly if it's toward the middle of the day. As you take a nap later in the day, you're going to more likely get into deeper sleep, which will have more of an impact on the nighttime sleep. But if you sleep a full sleep cycle, there's a good chance you might be waking out of a deep stage of sleep, in which case it's going to really be hard to get going. So. Um, you know, an hour and a half uh, nap could actually leave you feeling worse. Yeah. Uh, whereas a half hour, 15 minute nap may be better than a cup of coffee at really getting you up and going again. Do you, what, what are the things we should be doing? What, what are the, what are the guidelines that you teach, John? And, and what are the things that maybe we should be watching out for? Maybe there's little hidden problems we don't even know we're doing that might be impacting our sleep. Well, I think one of the, the big things today, and I'm as guilty of this as anybody, uh, and that is that, um, you know, in the evening, if we're using computers, you know, the, the new uh, or relatively new screens, you know, that with the light emitting um, or the, the LCDs and the, uh, the backlighting and all that, uh, produces a lot of uh, light in the blue end of the spectrum. That's highly biologically active, suppresses our melatonin levels, and actually makes it more difficult to uh, fall asleep. Hmm. So one of the things that uh, is recommended is we really start cutting down light about an hour before going to bedtime, uh, before bedtime. And um, there are uh, programs, uh, there's a free one you can get, uh, just Google it and download it. It's called F.Lux, L-U-X, that a lot of people are using. Uh, And it just strips out the blue light toward the... uh, uh, end of the day, and what that does is it makes your screen a little bit pinker, but um, it's probably best to just turn the computer off altogether, but if you're going to be using it, it at least decreases its biological impact on you. So I think probably one of the big things in modern living is actually this kind of 24-hour thing that we can do. You know, you can be up at 4 in the morning right. and um, see because of um, the uh, electric lighting that we have. So I think really paying attention to our uh, daily rhythm and trying to work with that rather than override it by, you know, using a lot of caffeine or bright light at night or things like that, uh, if we try to get more in sync with our natural bodily rhythm, I think that goes a long way toward helping us uh, feel a lot better. I mean, that's I've felt it. In fact, last time you were on the show, you you talked about F-Lux uh, as a software, mm-hmm. as an app, and holy cow, it, it really does make a difference. Um, the minute I, at night, I'll pull up my phone and I'll actually start reading uh, stuff for the show. But I can feel my mind go get more and more awake, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm just assuming it was that blue light until I started right. using that filter, and it changes. It helps. Wow! So you've used it, and it's actually been beneficial. Yeah, it's great to hear. And it does. It makes it look a little pinker, or like almost a a little brownish uh, tint. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is the caffeine. Um, I remember last time I think you were on the show, you talked about you really shouldn't be ingesting more caffeine. After a certain hour, do you remember the hour you said? Did you yeah, talk about that? Generally, 
Yeah, I mean, because caffeine really persists in your system for a long time. And, you know, um, in terms of pharmacology, people always talk about a half-life. And so you can imagine there are probably a lot of people who are consuming enough caffeine that they actually are never fully caffeine-free. Right, you know, right. By the time they're getting up in the morning, their caffeine levels have dropped low, but maybe not to zero before <laughs> they start stoking that again. So generally, the recommendation is... Um, uh, not after about two in the afternoon. Yeah. You know, many people will kind of recommend stopping by uh, by noon, uh, but what we generally recommend are called sleep hygiene rules. And uh, so two o'clock. Um, but again, you know, if you if you've had a pot of coffee by two o'clock, you know, <laughs> even stopping then, you're probably still going to have quite a bit of caffeine on board for a long time. And, and otherwise, yeah, you're trying to sleep, but you're you've amped yourself up. I mean, I've seen people just down a lot of caffeine at. 10 o'clock at night, and you're thinking, what are you doing? Yeah, well, you know, and the other thing about that that's really beguiling is that uh, caffeine consumed later in the day like that is much better at disrupting your sleep than actually keeping you up. So Hmm. you may, you know, you'll hear people say, oh, yeah, I, I, you know, have a cup of coffee with dinner, and I can fall asleep. It's not a problem. But then if they really start kind of charting that over time, what they might find is that they're really waking up more or they're less rested the next morning, even though they kind of fell off to sleep okay. Yeah, so, it's like a hangover. Uh, it, it really does have that kind of, it's kind of like a hangover. So yeah, it does really have a, a negative uh, impact. You know, John, it's, um, you must see a lot of interesting uh, people in your office doing these sleep tests. So, so when somebody yeah. is wondering if they're having, if they're off in their sleep, they can just go to a clinic like yours, and you'll, I guess, strap them in and be able to detect why they're not sleeping or what's going on? Well, um, yeah. I mean, there are different things that are used. I mean, uh, different tools. The the polysomnography that you're describing, you know, where you're actually in the lab overnight yeah. and measurements are being done specifically, uh, now primarily are used to detect sleep disorder breathing problems. So these would be things like the sleep apnea and various uh, variations of that. Um, and and it's good for that. So if you have insomnia, it might not be very enlightening because it just might show you were awake a lot during the night, which <laughs> kind of confirms what you already knew. Yeah. Um, but it's really good doing that. The other reason that you might do polysomnography is if someone is having a lot of um, uh, what are called parasomnia. So these are things like sleepwalking or, you know, they may be having violent behavior during the night. And depending on which stage of sleep that arises out of, uh, it can have different significance for treatment. So uh, if people are having dangerous behaviors during the night, you know, they're getting up and driving or uh, while asleep or, you know, beating their spouse up or something like that, that would be a, a reason for doing an overnight uh, study. Okay. So um, the, the studies can help, and, um, and I guess you'd have to really kind of – it's specific on what, you're, what kind of uh, – what you're suffering with – Caffeine, something we ought to watch out for. Blue light, we ought to watch out for. Anything else that is just obvious that is impacting our well, sleep? Well, I, I think uh, one of the, the big things is uh, exercise. You know, that uh, uh, getting adequate exercise really seems to be very helpful in terms of improving both quality and quantity of sleep. And the timing, like so many other things, I, I think that's the, the other thing that I would really say about uh, being aware of your your kind of natural rhythm uh, is that the timing of, of exercise can really make a difference. So exercise anytime is probably uh, good, but um, you know if you're um, 
exercising, say, too late in the evening, that can actually warm you up, make it hard to fall asleep. Uh, if you're exercising in the morning, that's good for your health. It may not have a big impact on sleep. Um, and if you're exercising probably around 4 to 6 p.m., that can actually help you get to sleep at night uh, hmm. maximally. So uh, timing, if you can do it. I do wonder about, uh, I'm sure you have them in your area, we certainly have them around here, the 24-hour gyms. So yeah. you can go work out at 2 in the morning. What? Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's my kind of feeling, too, but uh, it's brutal, but uh, yeah, so, I mean, they obviously have enough people going that they can um, they can run a business based on a 24-hour schedule for uh, working out. I mean, you're, that's what's funny, John. You're in the Department of Psychiatry at Yale. You guys need to go study that. Why are there 24-hour <laughs> gyms? That's nuts. Yeah. It's a little scary to think about, but yeah. <laughs> it's so scary. Um, when you, I, I, I mean, like I know, I guess that's the key. We just need to notice our bodies more and notice what our body is telling us. Like you're saying about our our own timing, our own schedule. We should be able to detect what helps us sleep and what doesn't. We just need to pay attention. You know, I think you're really hitting on a really important aspect about modern living, and that is, you know, when um, – we think about uh, grandma's time. You know, we're talking about how uh, grandma said, you know, be sure to get uh, yeah. eight hours of sleep. Um, you know, I think people were more in touch with their bodies back then, and they kind of noticed that that's for what, for most people, makes them feel good. Whereas today, we can do this 24-hour, uh, seven-day-a-week, 365 kind of uh, lifestyle, and I think what that uh, may end up is that a lot of people are really fatigued. They're not really functioning optimally cognitively. But they don't know it because that's just how they feel all the time and don't realize what optimal health could actually feel like. You know, isn't it? It's true. And because it, it only, you know, grandma just paid attention and could basically come up with a number, seven and a half, eight hours. Research can now validate it. But we also don't – it doesn't – it just seems like it comes so easy in a way. Sleep is so inherent with just life that we undervalue mm -hmm. it. It's like, yeah, anybody can sleep. But yeah, it's, it's not valued. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think that's one of the benefits that's happening now where, uh, you know, shows like what you're doing or, uh, you know, things are showing up on the Internet. I think people are actually becoming more aware that this is something we've really slighted over time and that, um, you know, the idea that uh, what's the one thing I can always cut? Well, it's sleep. Um, and again, I'm as guilty of this as anyone. So, um, you know, we can kind of function, but what we generally find, uh, again, from research is that uh, cognitive abilities tend to decline after 16 hours of uh, continuous wakefulness. So there really is uh, about 16 hours we should be awake and about uh, eight hours for most people we should probably be sleeping. Well, which is interesting. So you've, you've really got 16 hours of ability and um, pushing yourself beyond that is probably useless. I guess there's a point where it'd be better to just push away from the desk, go take a nap, or push away from the desk, go home, and it might be smarter yeah. to just start again tomorrow. Well, you know, this is one of the reasons we think that, you know, some of the European countries may actually have, uh, you know, comparable uh, productivity to us while they work 
shorter hours and you know have more vacation time, it may be they're just a lot more efficient. Hmm. Uh, whereas you know Americans, you know, drinking all the power drinks and you know the energy drinks and coffee and you know working super long hours, our efficiency and, and mistake making may go up so uh, the efficiency so low and errors so high that it really does. Um, defeat the purpose of more work. Yeah. I lived in Argentina for two years, Mm. and we would have a siesta every day. About, you'd go have your lunch, you'd work, you know, you'd work, you'd get to work a little later, maybe eight or nine, then you'd go have lunch about one, you'd go take a, a siesta for a couple hours, nobody bothered anybody. Then you'd all, you know, four or five o'clock, people would still go back to work, spend three or four more hours at work. It was quite a little... It was, it's a whole different lifestyle, but they, they kind of centered sleep in their day. Yeah, yeah, it's really true, you know, and it, it seems like, you know, based on medieval records and, and actually some of the studies that have been done more recently, that uh, we probably have, you know, two periods of alertness and two periods of sleep during the day. So, you know, there's like the morning uh, wakefulness period, then you'd have the siesta, then you'd have another period of wakefulness till, um, you know, right after nightfall, then you'd have a period of sleep. There's probably a natural uh, period of awakening somewhere around 2 and 4 in the morning, hmm. and then another period of sleep until uh, the, the uh, morning. And uh, what we've done in these industrial uh, sleep schedules since the uh, Industrial Revolution is we've tried to eliminate that middle-of-the-night awakening, and uh, we just power through the uh, siesta time, and it might be one of the reasons why people aren't feeling all that yeah, great. for sure. Hey, what do we do <laughs> if we go to bed and, and we're in bed and we can't sleep? I mean, is there a point yeah. we should just, like, start over, get up, get, get out of that, or do we just kind of force our way through it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, generally, the kind of uh, rule of thumb we use is uh, subjective time of about 20, no more than 30 minutes. And uh, we use that because subjectively, after about 20 or 30 minutes of being awake in bed, it really begins to start getting frustrating and uncomfortable. And it's really counterproductive because trying to make yourself go to sleep just doesn't work. Right. So generally what we recommend is if that amount of time has gone by, and you're uh, not asleep, um, you know, get up, maybe go to a chair, listen to some light music, uh, you know, maybe do a relaxation technique. Um, if all else fails, maybe have a, you know, not too bright a light and do some light reading. And, um, and then once you're feeling drowsy, again, go back to bed and try and just repeat as needed. Try it again. And that will try it again. And uh, if you're wide awake once you get back in bed, minutes and then uh and then you're and then you're good uh, to go continue on yeah you know i i appreciate it john i really do i i it's i I don't know to me it's it's such an essential thing and yet it it, i think we all overlook it that's one of the things where we look beyond the mark and we need to do it a lot better dr john klein appreciate you joining us again if you go uh look uh, on psychology today you can see um uh, some great work and, and and writings of dr klein uh just you know simple folks just simple trying to bring you the ideas you need to live a healthier life for heaven's sake seven and a half hours of sleep is it gonna kill you yeah if you don't get enough you might We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, continue this discussion as as well as some others and some other upcoming news uh, we got to cover right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, we've been talking about sleep and are we getting enough sleep. And as I look across the, uh, the room here to our great board operator, James Everest Birdsall. James, you're engaged. Is it harder to get sleep when you're engaged and in college? Yeah, I suppose so. Because you look like you're exhausted. <laughs> Except you were just dancing a jig. Yeah. Does that help? Well, one, when you have really good music playing, it's hard not to dance. Like our hoedown music? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that off air. <laughs> but you're sitting here. You've got school. You've got a project due. Uh, you're working ish and um you've got a girlfriend or you're engaged <laughs> you don't have a girlfriend but i'm just sitting there thinking i remember when i was in college i wasn't getting much sleep yeah yeah it's a struggle and and as their previous guest just mentioned like usually the first thing on the chopping block is sleep you know they yeah. have so much to do yeah. like ah I and you want to be social yep you don't want to be a dud oh no offense terry None taken. You got to be who you are. Because Terry, Terry would give up social to go to bed at night. Absolutely, that's a good gift. Yeah, I my dilemma, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Is my family? They're all wide awake. So about nine o'clock, I'm usually f- nodding off on the couch. <sighs> that's how I feel about my roommates. That when I'm going to bed every night, everyone's still like kind of gearing up for the night. Yeah, so you're turning into a curmudgeon yeah. because you've already kissed your fiancé goodnight. You've sent her on her way or you've dropped her off at her home and now you're ready to go to bed. Mm-hmm. And your roommates are like, party! Yeah. Is that how they say it? Pretty much. Uh, really, really loudly too. Do so, they? Yeah. See, that's why it'll be great when you're married. You'll finally get more sleep than ever. It's going to be great. Yeah. That'll be great. So happy for you. What uh, time do you go to bed? I go to bed at uh, 10 o'clock, I think. What time do you get up? Uh, 5.45. What time does the show start? What? Seven. You don't get up at 5.45. Yeah, the I show do. starts at 7 Mountain Time, and you're usually running in about 6.58. Yep. <laughs> Just through you It's because the, the, the morning routine. He doesn't have to do his hair. Yeah. I spend a long time on my hair, actually. Oh, I'm sorry. It takes a really, really long time to get ready. Well, it's a product. Yeah. <laughs> what product do you think? Yes, to style the stubble. <laughs> style the stubble. Every day. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. You get a lot of sleep. Terry sleeps more than all of us combined. I go to bed at 10, wake up at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah. That's not a lot of sleep. It's not, Grandma. It's actually less sleep than what our last guest probably said you should get. Yeah. That's six and a half hours. Yeah. And I, if I feel like yesterday was one of those days, you almost pass out. Did you take a nap with the no. boy? No. The boy doesn't sleep. The boy just runs around the house. We're watching an incredible Hulk cartoon and- he was Hulk smashing, and but don't you fall asleep? I'd fall asleep. I, I try. I sometimes I'll doze off. Yeah, but I have things I have to to get to and appointments yeah. and things. So you can't. I did that before and left him at preschool an extra twenty minutes. Yeah, that was an issue. Now you're. Yeah, now you now you get you get to be with him. See, I'd fall asleep. I'd probably my kids would be playing around me. I'd wake up with 
a Lego in my nose. Yeah. But you you got to be careful. Kids can do some awful things. <laughs> Kids could not be trusted. But, yes, yeah, so, I mean, if I – like today, usually Tuesdays are the day I crash. Yeah. Usually my wild weekends keep me sustained through Monday. Do you sleep in on on the weekends? No. I used to have an well, aunt. Well, technically. I stay up later. Yeah. Because this job tends to – these hours tend to mess up your entire life. Yeah. So I stay up later on Friday and Saturday night so that I can sleep till about 7 on Saturday, Sunday mornings. Oh, wow. I can sleep in. I had an aunt that used to sleep in on Saturdays and Sundays till like 1 in the afternoon. Wow. And it, and it was like everyone was like, don't mess. You've got to be quiet. Don't don't mess. She'll kill you. <laughs> Until 1 o'clock? She'd sleep till 1. I could never sleep till 1. No. Well, your day is, is gone at that point. I mean, like you're awake for like – yeah. What, eight hours? I mean, don't then? get me wrong. I could sleep till one. My wife would never have that. <laughs> My we wife, have things to do. She's always making the bed by about eight, it, whether I'm in it or not. Pillows. Like, I've had the bed made on me, like tucked in, and I couldn't breathe. And I'm like, what the? What are you doing? Just making the bed. Sorry, did I bother you? No, I'm fine. And then she opens the blinds. Tons of light. So rude. You're sleeping. It's not fair. No, sleep is a hard thing because uh, it's the. It seems like it's very unproductive. Yeah. See that. See that. You, you have better things to do. No, but that's the paradigm that kills you. But it's it's the most productive thing you do all day to yeah. allow you to. It gets function. your hormones in in gear. It helps to kind of uh, memory consolidation, and it bal- balances your Liptons, whatever those are. <laughs> Makes it's, it so your your fat stores don't head to the gut. Wow, there's a lot of stuff, and yeah. you just thought you were sleeping or drooling. I I couldn't sleep more than seven hours, or I'd be dehydrated because I drool so much. <laughs> Is that too personal? Yeah, a little bit. Too much information. I just don't. I'm just warning everybody out there. If you drool a lot, don't sleep more than seven hours. It'll dehydrate you. That's the information you get on this show. You don't get that everywhere. You don't see CNN talking about that. Drooling dehydration. Up next on the Matt Townsend Show. That's it, folks. Hour number one. It's in the can. We'll be back next hour. More interesting ideas right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Helping you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. Take care. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to hour number two of uh, today's program. Boy, today we are going to be talking about coping with your age. A lot of baby boomers struggling. They're getting older. If you're 50 plus years old, you uh, you might be you might be feeling pretty negative about yourself. 
And you might not even think it, but all of a sudden you're like, yeah, oh my God, my brain doesn't even work. My old brain doesn't even work anymore. Just a little comment like that. We're going to talk about that. How do you uh, feel good about your age, your state of life? Mm. Huge, huge issue. I'm feeling that way. Just I put together that basketball hoop and I'm still bruised and battered and, you know, I feel like I played a football game. But you can look into your backyard. I can look into my backyard. And there's that basketball there's hoop. There's my hoop. Success. Oh. You conquered. And my kids now, they all go out and play instead of just sitting in. I fix a doorknob at my house and I'm just like... I'm the man. I'm the man. I did everything. You can't stop me. It's like there's a, there's some commercials now where um, a guy's out fertilizing his lawn, and it's all green. He goes, I feel like I can do anything. And he goes, I'm going to go see if I, I'm finally going to learn how to fold a fitted sheet. Yeah, I'm And gonna... he goes in, and he goes, there's no corners. This is impossible. It's funny that one little victory goes a very long way, you know. Oh, yeah. That's it. I walk around the house telling my wife, I fixed that doorknob. Did you see that? Yeah. Did you see the doorknob I fixed? Yeah, I did that. And then she's like, you fixed the doorknob. Go away. You fixed the doorknob. Relax. <laughs> no, honey, you do not understand. This is the beginning of something very big. First the doorknob, then the door, then the squeak. I'm going to start fixing squeaks. We've got a lot of squeaks at our house. Just doors, hinges. Mm! Changing the world, folks. Changing the world. By the way, did you hear about the Swedish team? That barely – the Swedish soccer team that had barely missed flight 9525, German Wings flight 9525, yeah. if they hadn't been delayed. So thank heavens, folks, for some of your delays because that would have seriously you know, changed you, you, Sweden too. You always hear those stories where people just miss the flight that yeah. is doomed. Oh, I bet you're so and what mad. What series of events led to them being 10, 12, 20 minutes late and they missed the flight? Ah, it makes me yeah. so mad, these airlines. TSA, just searching me. You yawn. Once in line, they pull you out for Sir, extra screening. Are you yawning? What was the word they used? Are, are you yawning in like a fake way? This looked like a fake yawn to me. No, that was a real yawn, sir. Look, my eyes are watering. Exaggerated grooming gestures. <laughs> you sure play with your hair a lot there, buddy. <laughs> Fun. We're going to have to search you. Jimmy, search this guy. Plays with his hair a lot. So there's anyway. lots of stuff going on. What's going on? We talked earlier about the Indiana law, the yeah. religious protect. What do they even call this thing? It's called the RFRA, the Religious Freedom Rights. I think it's the IRFRA. The IRFRA. The, there it is, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Yeah. Lots of companies... Lots of uh, people are speaking out against it. It's an opportunity for people to come to the middle and say, okay, there has to be a reasonable way to come. I mean, yeah. Can't we protect, you know, Indiana, the governor is saying we're protecting the rights this way, but, and they say it's just like what's been done in other states. Well, other states have a protected, you know, class clause type of thing. So you're not discriminating. So you, you can address both sides of the issue where Indiana doesn't have that. When he was asked over the weekend on, on ABC if, if, the, if the state of Indiana was going to do this, he goes, no, there is no plan to have a protected class clause in the law. Just immediately. Every other then, question where he was, you know, yeah. wishy-washy, that one definitive, nope, no, not we're not that. doing that. Them is fighting words. So when you look at politics, mm-hmm. especially now where there's a bunch of people who have exploratory committees and maybe sure. declaring and all this, there's an opportunity for them to speak out, oh, show so some said, leadership. Yeah. 
possibly show there's a way for everyone to coexist. And so, yeah, this is a great opportunity. But no, but people aren't touching it. Jeb Bush, uh oh, um, Cruz, yeah, they're, they they both come out and answer the question: Should a florist be able to deny services to yeah. uh, you know a homosexual couple that wants to get married? And they say absolutely. They, yeah. they should have that. They should have that right, it, and they shouldn't be punished for it. They should have the right to deny services based on your orientation. And, uh, yeah. So, but this is, it's, uh, again, it's politics, and that's, you know, the yeah. base that they're, they're, they're leaning, they're trying to get those people uh, interested in them as a candidate. That's right. kind of the viewpoint. And See, that's, so why, this, that's why politics is because, and, and, you know, on an upcoming interview with Governor Mike Levitt, uh, we talked about this, but what ends up happening is everybody's playing to the extremes right now, right now. And then eventually we all have to kind of move and settle into the middle if you want to get elected. So everyone has to play to their extreme base and the extreme base has one side of the argument. You know, it's got to be one way and the other side of the argument. No, it's got to be another way. And in the end, everybody hates each other. And they're really similar. And By the time you go to vote, everyone's saying basically the same thing. That's right. Lesbians, gays, bi's, transgenders, they should all have the same rights and be protected. And businesses should have certain rights or em- em- uh, employers should have the right to live within their conscience. And not – you can't sit there and take people's rights away. Yeah. And there's a way. It's been done, folks. We're going to actually talk about it next Tuesday on the show, a week from today. We've got a great example. It was legislation that took place in Utah that facilitated both sides of this argument, and um, it's the beginning of just – it's just a template. It's a great way to kind of create balance, I think, in a lot of our, in a lot of our um, conflict in politics. Holy cow. Yeah. That's crazy. Other news, two federal agents were charged Monday with laundering bitcoins oh, while building the government's case against the black market website Silk Road. So they were do- they were investigating, and then they found all this Bitcoin. And- S- Silk Road, you could go online and get illegal merchandise you pay for with Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. The federal agents were investigating, found Bitcoin, and took it. Oh, they decided this would be a good idea. So you have uh, Karl Mark Force the Fourth of the DEA allegedly asked Silk Road administrator Ross Erbreich to pay him two hundred fifty thousand dollars in the anonymous cryptocurrency to not disclose information to the government. Sean Bridges of the Secret Service is accused of stealing more than $800,000 in Bitcoin wow. that he controlled during the uh, the Secret Service's investigation. Silk Road reportedly uh, a massive Bitcoin theft. They had a huge Bitcoin theft around that same time. The Fed shut down Silk Road and arrested uh, Erobright in uh, 2013. He was convicted of drug running in 2015. <laughs> so the guy in charge, this Erobright guy, is is being blackmailed by one guy, yes, and then another guy, another Secret Service guy, came in and stole eight hundred thousand dollars as he was investigating. Because they're they're like, no one's going to know. It's Bitcoin. It's all illegal money. No, it's not, folks. It's not just. We know what Bitcoin is because it's been on the show. You don't be stealing Bitcoin. Right. Don't be stealing Cole's cash. Cole's don't be cash. stealing gold. Don't be stealing uh, human waste products that create precious metals. Yes. We've talked about all of that on the show. You could get, what is it, $13 million a year out of the sewer. Yeah. Yeah. That you don't have. Yeah. You could. You, I mean, you could hire somebody to do it. <laughs> President Obama, the White House announced Monday that he will visit 
uh, a co-host. He will co-host a global uh, entrepreneurship summit in Kenya in July. Weird. His first trip to his father's homeland as president. See, no, they're saying everyone's going to be like, see, uh-huh. he's going home. It's a family reunion. What's we he doing? We knew it. It, uh, it would be <laughs> his fourth trip to sub-Sahara Africa and the most of any sitting U.S. president, notes the National Security Council, uh, comparing Kenya's visit, uh, President Kennedy's historic visit to Ireland in 1963, going back to his family's homeland. Mm. Right? Yeah. So yeah. you have family ties, and we learned this week that... President Obama will be visiting Utah for the first time in his yeah. presidency. He uh, he still has South Dakota to visit. That's yeah. the last state. Yeah, you got to get all the states at least once while yeah. you're in there for and eight Kenya. years. Well, he's going to Kenya. He said, I, "I think he he mentioned when he first was elected that he would like to go there." Oh, I'm sure. And Kenya's been expecting it since. But when you're president, you can go anywhere you want to go. Yeah, well, within reason, you have to go where it's needed too. That's true. Because you bring a lot of. Uh, interest and coverage that could help out he needs to go to iraq he needs to go to afghanistan he has been there yeah except he goes secretly because you know high price target and all um i know you're excited by this there's more hillary email news what she said originally that she only used her blackberry right yeah now they're finding that she used an ipad too hillary rodham (laughs) clinton so what is she doing does she not understand that if she doesn't tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, people are going to get on her? Yes, and they will and have and are. So They're probably going to get on her anyway, except Hillary. Come on! You're just giving them ammo. So just giving She them used ammo. an iPad, too. So maybe once. There's one, <sighs> F1, uh, incident that they have that she used an iPad. Tell I know me. that's vital information for It you. really is. Speaking of... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to segue... Speaking of growing old, I don't know how that has to do with anything. Uh, baby boomers, you ever just feel like your age is working against you? That you're just, you're too old, you live in this world where it's all about Botox and liposuction, and everyone looks down on you? We're going to be talking about aging with Mindy Ute. She's going to be joining us. She's going to talk to us about growing old in a youth-obsessed society what we can do to take our lives back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. song chuck berry right there johnny be good doesn't that uh, and most of i mean i don't remember that i just remember being on the radio once in a while and ah you know aging is a privilege afforded to few but it's becoming a stage of life that's poorly valued in our society the only other option however is to quit breathing so maybe we should (laughs) rethink this We go to great lengths to avoid looking our age, from Botox to liposuction to a stream of natural remedies running rampant on the Internet. 
Is this really fair? How are people responding to aging today? This is a question we'll be talking with uh, Mindy Ute, who's a contributor to the Huffington Post. She's a psychotherapist, and uh, she's taking on a battle for uh, and trying to motivate people to take back, I guess, their their psyche when it comes to their age. Miss Ute, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, Matt. Nice to be here. Great to have you on the show. You, uh, in your Huffington Post, you, you had two posts where you're basically trying to start a movement, basically, right? Exactly. Well, I loved what you said, take our lives back. That's, that says it perfectly. Uh, how do we age and still feel relevant and realistic and productive and contribute to society and not feel like we've got one foot in the grave and we're no longer uh, part of, of the world? How do we become realistic about aging and still feel very much vital and vitalized and energetic? You know, this couldn't have happened, uh, this interview, at a better time, Mindy, because I last night I have a really close family friend that is 99 and a half years old. And he now, uh, his wife has passed on. Everyone, pretty much, he said, has passed on. But he he uh, he can't eat as much. He's not as hungry. He's lost some teeth now. And everything is conspiring against him to where he really is just done. And I sit there and I think, okay, great. That makes sense. This friend is 99 and a half years old. But I feel that way at times at 45. Like. Yeah. Why and, and I and I think I think right. you know my sisters everybody we're all kind of like always mentioning our age. What's that about? Right, because we live in a culture that uh, values youth and denigrates old age, and we've put in our minds this split: you're young, and then you're um, happy, and you're worry-free, and you're healthy, and the world is your oyster, and then you flip into old, mm-hmm. <laughs> and all of a sudden. You're ugly, you're weak, you're no longer relevant, you're a has-been. And I think both aren't true. Uh, youth isn't all it's cracked up to be. I'm right. sure you and I can remember. I mean, I remember being a teenager and I was miserable. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, so we make that the ideal. And that's also got its problems and conflicts. So, And then we think, well, that was great, and now old age, you're sort of done. And yet the truth is that being older invites so many opportunities for people if they get in touch with truly who they've become at this point in their lives. They may not look the same, they, they may not feel the same, but they have an opportunity to reevaluate what they've learned over the course of their years mm. and to contribute enormous wisdom and enormous insight into the world. And I think there's a place that will welcome it if uh, this generation takes charge and begins to um, reclaim their voice. Oh, I love that. And especially with, I mean, you're, we have this huge baby boomers movement where I, I, I watch the Oscars and you see these actors that we kind of grew up with that are now kind of marginalized there. And, and there, there's all of these young actors that I don't seem to relate to. And I don't even know who half of them are. And I sit there and I think, Wow, it really is a handing over, almost maybe a pushing out of the guard, where big names, Pacino and these guys, I mean, they're revered, but they're not in any of the movies. 
Well, Hollywood isn't um, very kind to older actors and actresses in particular. Right. Um, I mean, yeah, the, you hear many times older actresses complaining about the lack of roles. You know, there's a wonderful quote, Ju- Julianne Moore, who just starred in mm-hmm. that, you know, received the Oscar for her performance in Still Alice. In her acceptance speech, she said, I never thought there'd be a, a movie about a woman in her 50s. <laughs> and there it was, and it was a huge success. So it's still something we're coming to grips with. Do people want to hear these stories? And I think people do, and there are many stories to tell. Hollywood is always a little bit youth-obsessed, but I think as that generation changes and if if baby boomers stay in positions of responsibility, I think those movies will be made and those actors will be before us and we'll get to learn those stories. And there are many stories and wonderful, you know, Meryl Streep comes to mind, Annette Bening, Helen Mirren, uh, Mm. Al Pacino you mentioned. Um, so there are wonderful actors, and to think that they wouldn't be uh, given the roles, it's, it's really would be a great loss. It, it, it's interesting. You see even the man, Harrison Ford, they kind mm-hmm. of get relegated to being the supreme commander instead yeah. of like the guy on the front line of the war, you know? Exactly. It's exactly. interesting. And then Harrison Ford, I mean, like, there's a lot of stigmas about us and aging, but then Harrison Ford goes out and is flying a, a, a little plane and then and, and creates and does an incredible save, really, of his own life and probably other lives. And uh, yet, you know, yeah. old people. Exactly. I mean, old people. Right. You know, I mean, the truth is that older people are doing incredible things in this world and we have to change the paradigm and see them for all of the talent and you know there's a lot of we gain a lot from experience Mm. and that's what people of mature age bring what are some more of the stigmas that you see for men and women as they age well you know it's very it's different in some ways and it's the same i think there are certain um issues that women have in terms of looks i think that women fear um, becoming, I use the word invisible, that an yeah. older woman walks on the street and invisible to people. She's no longer a, an erotic object. She's no longer um, sexually desirable, so to speak. And she becomes, um, in, a, in a culture that sort of values this dewy, youthful look, <laughs> she doesn't have a place. Yeah. So, you know, something like people pass pass her by, and it's a terrible feeling to sort of feel invisible. And, um, and there's a sense, too, that when you're old, you'll be lonely. You know, mm-hmm. the idea of the lonely person. Um, and uh, it's, it's really a very social part of life. I mean, there are people who uh, become very attached to their friends, who also have time to you know, no longer worry about family obligations and children are grown and can have wonderful lives together. There are book clubs and um, film clubs, and it's a great retirement or communities or assisted living communities that are becoming very vibrant and engaging. Um, and, and there are issues of becoming dependent on people, yeah. um, which I think frightens people, you know, often. And especially because we're probably dealing with our parents as they're aging now. So we kind of see it 25 years ahead. Right, right. And I think it's it's a great, if if 
boomers, you know, the middle age will talk about it, then we can prepare, too, for older age and not find ourselves um, financially strapped or unprepared to make important life decisions. So part of this movement also is getting real about growing older and facing it when you can make decisions now that will make it easier for you and your family later. So that's also part of being realistic. Yeah. Because we all will become older, will become possibly infirm, and it's good to plan ahead. And, and be able to kind of take it on, embrace it, and, and uh, you mean, you're almost saying like take back your wisdom. I mean, we, we have the corner on the wisdom market as we're aging. It's just, yeah. we just have to kind of demand that respect. To, right, and to be heard. You know, it was. there's a wonderful thing. I don't know, Eric Erickson writes about mm. the stages of life. Yeah. You, may, you may know his yeah. And he talks about the, the sort of last two stages, one being of integration, right? So we have all of this experience, and now when, you're, when you have time to take a pause and self-reflect, you can actually find, well, what is the meaning of yeah. life? Mm. What, right? How do you pull it all together and make sense of it? You can't do that when you're 30 and 40, but when you're 50, 60, 70, you can start to think in broad terms of, well, what does it all mean when you sit back and think about it? And then in the final, which I absolutely love, is passing it on. Hmm. So you have this wisdom and you have this experience, and now pay it forward. Teach people, tell people from your experience what you've learned. And it's a wonderfully important you know, part of life that can contribute so much to people. It's such a valuable, I think, conversation we're having. We're talking right now with uh, Dr. Mindy Ute, and uh, she is a counselor, uh, social worker, MSW in New York City, and also has a law degree. She's a, uh, a blogger on Huffington Post, and she's basically, we're, she's helping to start a movement for all of us that are aging, <laughs> which I guess is everybody. But we've got to start uh, refocusing ourselves, not just being a victim and not cry baby in it anymore. we got to step up and let's just declare our strength that's coming with our aging. We're going to come back more with Mindy Ute right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. The Beach Boys, Holy Hannah. If that doesn't make you feel old, actually young, I love this. My kids don't get what real good music sounds like. This is it right here. Let's just soak that in for a minute. Mm-hmm. Good vibrations. Good stuff. Beach Boys. We're on the line here with Mindy Ute, and she is a Huffington Post blogger, and she wrote she's, – she's starting a movement, friends. Like, seriously, no more crying. If you are aging, it's time to take back your life. Women in their 50s and older need to refocus their center and source of inner strength and wisdom. This is her this is her plea. We need an honest dialogue about the challenges of baby boomer aging so women can stop criticizing themselves, reclaim their vitality and confidence and engage fully in the world and into action. 
Mm. She also is driving the guys to do the same thing. We need to, uh, men and women can help by recognizing our mutual fears, taking back openly or, or talking openly about our experiences, and maybe most important of all, cutting each other some much needed slack. That's some good stuff. Mindy Ute, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, Matt. Hey, Mindy, where can they find your website? So my website is www.mindyutay.com. U-T-A-Y.com. U-T-A-Y.com. I, um, I love this idea that, we, we, and I love the mere fact that you're, you're basing it in a conversation. We need to start talking more about the value that, you know, the baby boomers and those that are aging, that they bring. We, we bring something to the equation. It's not about the sagging skin, is it? It's not about the inability to do certain things. It's about our ability to do so many other things. Right. And a lot of uh, uh, older people, there are many articles recently written about um, people reclaiming areas of interest that they had to let go of earlier in life. So it was a wonderful story in the in the New York Times recently of a couple of musicians who had given it up because it was a tough career, but now they're in their 50s and they're starting a band. There you go. And actually just this weekend, Matt, I was seeing a friend who's the lead guitar in a rock band. (laughs) I mean, the average age up there was in their late 50s. They were rocking it playing the music you and I probably grew up with, probably older than you. Um, And it was amazing. So why not? Yeah. And again, and to also, because it seems like if you go back to those things, you had to kind of give up for your family, for your progress, for your jobs or whatever. To go back to that, it seems like it's going to reinvigorate the passions that you had back then. It's going to give you a new life. Exactly. Because part of what keeps us feeling vital and vibrant and engaged is finding out what we love. So if you loved something when you were in your 20s and 30s but couldn't follow through on it for a variety of reasons, why not now? Mm-hmm. And you may have an opportunity now that you didn't have earlier. Volunteering, so people, I know so many, uh, there are guys who loved sports, may not be able to play like they did, but right. how about coaching? You bet. How about going to the community center? and, you know, coaching um, a basketball league. So to find what you loved, because it's the essence of who you are, and that never gets old. That that does not get old. Um, talk about, you, you, you kind of went through what women go through as they're aging, some of their concerns. What what do men go through? What What tends to be top of mind with the male psyche? So men do it a little differently. I think men in some ways have, um, I mean, there's a, there's a myth, I think, that men have an easier time mm-hmm. because we think about that distinguished older gentleman yeah. and right, he's got it all together. Um, but in, in truth, I think men have a lot of emotional um, challenges when they age. First of all, they're less prepared. Women are more in touch with their body changing by mm-hmm. virtue of whether it's pregnancy, puberty, um, uh, menopause, uh, just seem to have a different relationship to the body than men do so that when they start to see changes, they're a little more shocked by it. Right. I've certainly heard from my patients. Um, and then there's the um, 
ability to talk about it. Men sometimes don't feel comfortable with other men saying, you know, so how's your arthritis? You know, <laughs> right. my, my back's killing me. That's right. Um, so they don't have that social support. Uh, also, men, um, I think they have trouble when they see um, certain problems, say, at work, or they find that their age becomes an impediment in some way. Um, uh, recently, I, I heard about a, a man who was caught without his reading glasses at a business meeting, mm. and or somebody had to read it to, to him. And it was actually very... Um, he was kind of devastated. I bet. You know, that, that sense of ego strength, you know, being yeah. a strong man and having, um, you know, sort of competence was challenged. Um, Some young and, punk is going to read your report for you. <laughs> exactly, right? Yeah. Can you imagine? So um, so these things, uh, you know, and sometimes they go, they're hidden because men just aren't uh, socialized to talk about it. And then what happens? problem is that it it sometimes becomes externalized mm. so men instead of um talking about it or thinking well where am i and what's going on they might act out yeah. with drinking or some irritable behavior some sexual acting out so it gets externalized it's like the midlife the crisis right the midlife it, crisis you right the it, porsche in the driveway yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you can't afford the porsche i guess a yeah. old used motorcycle Oh, exactly. Right. Whatever it is, it becomes an object. It's so, so it's, true, though, isn't it? And, and we do. We kind of externalize it. And yet, it, it, what's interesting, so then you have a couple that's going through this together. Yeah. And they're kind of both, she feels, you know, kind of ignored, invisible, alone. And he's still trying to, you know, be the peacock or whatever and be puffed up. And I mean, it's just a really interesting dynamic. But you could grow lonely even though you're with each other. That's that's absolutely right, because if you don't realize that both of you are changing, that as a couple you're changing, then you're holding on to older versions of each other, and they're going to be disappointed, right? So if he's expecting me to see him as this stud, and I don't, right, and he starts to feel badly, then he's also not going to give me the assurance that I need that I'm still attractive to him. So the couple, right, needs to take on that life cycle as a unit, and it would help them to relate to each other in a more giving, in a more understanding and compassionate way. What uh, do you recommend for, I mean, the conversation is, I think, essential. We need to start, you know, I guess, taking back our ground as as we're aging and, and keep holding that up. And I mean, I guess... I could do that by just talking more positively about my family that are aging and and kind of promote that to my children. What else should we be doing to keep promoting mm-hmm. the value of uh the, of those that are that are, you know, more wise and and and, and older? Well, first thing is all of us should never say I used to do this and in the good old days mm-hmm. I did. Uh, a great story. I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a very, uh, he's in mid 50s, who's a very uh, successful corporate person, got a big job. And she was saying, Oh, no, I'm not like that. I never, I'm, I don't worry about aging at all. And then the bill came and she couldn't find her credit card and she said, Oh, my aging brain. Uh, so you see, all of yeah. that negative self talk, yeah. that, has, that has to go, right? That so has to true. Go. 
And I think it's um, taking good care of ourselves in a way that doesn't try to reclaim lost youth, but makes the most of ourselves today, which is really about staying strong. And that means, you know, sleeping well, eating well, exercising, reading, staying current, so that you feel the best you can today. And thinking in terms of strength, vitality, um, you know, sort of a, a zest for living that may have more of an inner sort of inner spirit yeah. than, you know, and you may not be able to run the marathon, but when people look at you, they see you engaged, they see you interested, and they see you relevant. Um, and I think that people need to be realistic about what aging is. So ageism is, is sort of a marginalization of people who are older, but aging can be something you can do well, do with pride, uh, claim your place in the world. Uh, so I think it really starts with changing the dialogue, claiming a place, all of the people, whether it's celebrities, you and me, uh, everybody talking in positive terms and wanting to know what this is, the stage of life is like, how it can be very gratifying and to share the dialogue and to begin to be very positive about the stage of life. Oh, it's beautiful. And it really is. It's about the conversations because the more we share those conversations, uh, the more the conversations will start to create better symbols, better ideas in what we can be. We appreciate you, Mindy Ute. Uh, great work uh, on this blog and on this movement. Let's keep that alive. Everybody, go check out Mindy's website, MindyUte.com, U-T-A-Y.com, MindyUte.com, and continue the movement. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to give you some of uh, the Coach's Corner where we're going to talk about some of the discussions you as a grandparent could have be having with your children and your grandchildren. Ideas that only you can bring them, folks. And if if that wisdom is lost and not handed down to the next generations, uh, you know, it could be lost forever. It might be the greatest thing you can bring as you're aging. Insight, my friends. We'll be right back. More right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Again, I'm telling you, I can't, I can't get enough of this friend of ours, uh, 99 and a half years old. Ralph is his name, and we just heard he wasn't doing well. We ran over and saw him last night. <laughs> He's just so great. He's just, he still gets it, folks. He still laughs. He's, he just can't get his, you know, he can't get everything to work. <laughs> He's just a wonderful man. But here's one of the things that I have learned and my family, we've all learned from Ralph at the age of 99 and a half years old. But uh, these lessons to me, as as you're aging, we can be frustrated by it. And I think a lot of it, like uh, Mindy was talking about in that last segment, we always uh, can, you know, you know, it's hard. Oh, I'm getting older. I always make jokes about getting older and I feel like I really am. And my body's really, you know, hurting. But in the end, 
the more I talk about it, the more I'm forgetting some other things that I could be bringing to the equation, and all of us should be bringing as we're aging. So if you're a grandparent, if you're a parent, these are some things, and, and you feel like you're, you know, you're losing it because you're not quite what you used to be. Here's some things that I would suggest that you do focus on. The number one tool you can have as you're, as you're aging is the fact that you have almost an inherent opportunity, an inherent right to influence. And influence as defined in, in, the, in dictionary.com, the word influence means the capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force on or produce effects on the actions, behavior, opinions of others. Capacity or power of persons or things to be a compelling force. To me, that is what you have the power to do is to influence. It's to, um, it's to influence your kids. Let me give you just three areas as a grandparent you really ought to be focusing on that I think you can do uniquely well. Admiration. The first thing you can influence your kids and grandkids on is admiration. Admiring your grandkids for who they are, Right. Everybody, everybody loves to be loved, and the goal is to simply and openly express specific, heartfelt confidence and appreciation for your children and your grandchildren. Our kids need to hear it more, and a lot of times as parents, we have to kind of, we're disciplining, we're pushing, we need to be more admiring of our kids as well. But as a grandparent, you might be able to step in and just go to your child's game, go to their band rehearsal, go to their choir performance and just admire what they're doing and express it in a very specific way. You know, I'm so impressed, son, with your th- with this, 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 and this. And talk about the character traits. I'm so impressed with how hard you work to play that instrument. I'm so impressed with how hard it is and how hard you work to keep up with the rest of the band carrying that big tuba. You can find some way to express that appreciation, that admiration. One of the reasons it's so powerful is uh, you you really – you're the one. You have the opportunity to express very specific, focused appreciation for something, and you can probably do it in a way that no one else can do it. And when all of a sudden I hear from my grandparents something positive about me that they admire, it sticks with me. It stays with me. Remember to focus your admiration on principles, not outcomes. Don't just make it because they graduated. Make it because they worked hard. Make it because they stuck to it. Make it because they never gave up, because they cared about the other people. Make it about the principles, not just the outcomes. Focus your admiration for things that they can control, that the people, that your grandchildren can control. Don't focus it on what they can't control. Don't admire just the fact that they have beautiful skin, but appreciate how hard they work to be healthy. Make sense? Admiration. First thing grandparents should be bringing to their families. Second is inspiration. Inform your kids and your grandkids of what they could be. Are you inspiring your kids, your grandkids? Are you helping them see how great they can be? That's what Mindy Ute was talking about. Let's stay active. Let's stay, you know, let's stay in the game. Let's keep trying to push and, and stay up to date and stay current. I mean, how cool would that be to have a 75-year-old grandfather who's really effective and active on a cell phone or on their, on their iPhone, for example? Man, my kids would love to talk to their grandpa about their iPhones. It's an immediate way to relate, to connect, is inspiration. 
This goal is very simple. We want the very best stories to come from the past and the present. Inspire means that you bring the spirit and you bring it inside another person. So we want to use these conversations that we have to inspire. Go back and tell your most inspiring people from your life. If you go tell the most inspiring stories you have, think about it. Jackie Robinson, Gandhi, Mandela, Mother Teresa, Jesus Christ, all examples. They could be all inspirational stories. So when you're with your kids, teach them the stories. Go sit down and watch YouTube videos with your grandchildren about the most amazing and inspiring people you know. There are so many videos online now that are just free that are highly inspirational. As a grandparent, you have the power to – and if you can just get their attention for a half hour – Man, the changes you could create just by showing what other options are, letting them meet people that you know. Take them to where you've been. If you fought in the war, go talk about those stories. Go talk about the heroes you had back in the day. Now you're inspiring your kids. Become fluent in their lives. Do you know what's going on with your grandchildren? Do you know what they're struggling with, what they're worried about? Are you fluent in their lives? Do you know what their team is called? What's their ball team called? Do you happen to know their coach because you've stood there and watched a few games? It's powerful, I'm telling you. And again, only you with all your wisdom. And if you get a little free time and you have a little extra money, and even if you don't, you can still be inspiring. So admiration and inspiration, two key things that grandparents can bring as you're aging, last but not least, is an invitation. An invitation where we're going to invite the grandkids to close the gap between the real and the ideal. So I would suggest you as a grandparent have the opportunity to help your kids and invite your kids to be the best they can be. Help them set goals. Help them reach their goal. Go teach them how to set a goal and reach a goal. Don't just pay them for grades. That's easy. Go talk to them about what do you want to do? Let's do this. Let's figure this out. Well, someday I want to be a pilot. Great. What's a goal we could set? And go help them set the goal and invite them to start taking their dreams and tying it to a reality of their real life. How great would it be as a parent to have my children's uh, grandparents showing up to help me help them? You know, I might even have the resources, and if you've got the time, let's go, let's go figure this out together. Start tying their action, their life, to real-life goals and dreams. Recognize uh, when they accomplish their dreams and their goals and go back to admiration and admire it for them. Invite them to constantly uh, understand your legacy. Are you sure how you want to be remembered? I'll never forget sitting with my wife's grandfather as he was sick and dying, and he he basically just said, I don't, I, I, I don't want to be forgotten. I don't want to be forgotten. And in my head, I'm like, no way will you be forgotten. We named a kid after you, number one. But every single time we pass uh, the cemetery where he is, um, where he's laid to rest, uh, every time we go by as a family, we all say, hi, Gigi and GP. And that is a direct tie to the fact that we don't ever want to forget him or his lessons. I bring him up all the time. I talk to my kids all the time about what a great man he was. And so I'd be very clear as a grandparent, are your grandkids and your and your children, are they clear of the legacy you're trying to leave? Are they clear how you left your talents, you know, 
and you were used up because you exercised all of your talents, invite them to um, also understand their own legacy. So tie your legacy to their legacy. Tie your grandparents' legacy to your legacy to your grandchildren's legacy. Start having those conversations. Each one of these are conversations. The admiration conversation, the inspiration conversation, and the invitation conversation. It's not brain surgery. It's just healthy living. And if you ever think as a senior that you're not valuable, you are. And if you don't have children or grandchildren that you could go do that with or they're not easily accessible, it doesn't mean you can't do it with the neighbor kid. And it doesn't mean you can't do it with all of these other people in your life. That wonderful man, Ralph, he's not related to me. He's just a friend. And I love the man with all of my heart. And Ralph has given me admiration, he's given me inspiration, and he invites me every time to go be a better dad. Three basic conversations, my friends. They're all up to you. That is hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show and the end of the coaching corner. Again, boy, just because you're aging doesn't mean uh, you don't have a lot to bring to the game. We're going to take a break. When we come back next hour... We're going to continue uh, to discuss how do we make sure that uh, we're not overcompensating for our kids, maybe uh, you know, not making it too easy for them. But this is the Matt Townsend Show. Back next hour. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I am your host, Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program where we will help you live longer, love stronger, and lead the ones you're with. We've got a great show for you today. Hour number three. If you haven't uh, caught the earlier two hours, you're going to want to go to iTunes, maybe, podcast. Pull that bad boy up. We've been learning a lot. Better sleep, how to age gracefully, and coming up on today's uh, show, maybe we're creating uh, a culture where everyone's a winner. You know, everybody gets a trophy. Everybody did a great job. Is it possible, though, that that very thought could hinder a child's psychological growth? We're going to be finding out with an expert Ah, how do we allow our kids to fail and use the failure for success? It's essential part of life. Speaking of failures and success, <laughs> you need to write better segues. Really? Yeah, because if you don't write them, I have to make them up. We have two examples of failures we've been talking about this morning. Yes. They don't involve any of us. No, not us, others. The uh, Iranian talks, Yeah, they have been extended to June Okay. So the the deadline was today. Today's we the needed day. to have a framework. Yeah, gotta have it. It was this this good this huge push. They they negotiated all night long, and they've extended the deadline for the agreement to the end of June. Everyone gets a trophy. You know you know the, the no term, winners or no losers. Kicking the can down yeah. the road. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what they did with this. Uh, negotiations overnight did not produce a working agreement uh for Iran's nuclear program it talks into the final days before the midnight deadline Tuesday in Switzerland Dipl- diplomats from the US, Britain, China, France, Germany and Russia met separately 
and then with Iran's foreign minister in an attempt to reach this framework. For the final accord, officials were uncertain whether they could meet the self-imposed deadline and if a third extension was possible. The talks have been twice extended since the interim deal was reached in November of 2013. So they have been extended to June. What's the quote we always use, James? When in doubt. When in doubt. Extend it out. Out. Yep. In other news, Indiana Governor Mike Pence. Mm-hmm. insisted his state's controversial new religious freedoms law was not meant as a backdoor to allow people and businesses to discriminate against gays and lesbians, but acknowledged the public fervor and the law is created. He said the uh, state would soon seek tweaks to ensure such discrimination could never happen. He was there was never any intention in this law to create a license to discriminate, he said today on Fox News. He also went on to say, and we clarify that in the days ahead, we will fix this and move forward. So they're going to go create more. His stance on this continues to soften as the hours pass that Mm -hmm. we got to fix this. As as more and more people are frustrated and voicing their concerns, crowding probably his parking space and the streets where he works, and yeah. (sighs) At least they're on it. (laughs) They're making changes. A California school dispute that arose when students wore shirts emblazoned with the American flag Mm. on Cinco de Mayo could prompt the Supreme Court to take a new look at free speech rules for high school. So Cinco de Mayo celebration in Los Angeles and a bunch of kids show up with American an American flag on. Well, were they trying to show up? Were they trying to incite problems? They say they weren't, but they were. Yeah. I mean, a lot of us have a flag shirt. Okay. James has like seven flag shirts <laughs> from six different countries. Mm-hmm. So the, these were a organized effort to wear an American flag shirt uh, on Cinco de Mayo as the school was celebrating Hmm. that holiday. Interesting. On Friday, the justices met to decide on hearing the case. Uh, They were supposed to make a decision on Monday. They have not. The school officials sent the kids home that were wearing the American flag shirts because they feared violence. Um, That fear of violence justified justified the discipline of dismissing the kids from school. The appeal in the case asked the justices to decide whether wearing an American flag can be curtailed as an unnecessary provocation or instead as a right of every citizen protected by the First Amendment. Yeah, it seems like it seems like you have the right to speak and wear a shirt. And wearing that shirt in the United States doesn't seem like it would be inciting a riot. I yeah, know. I don't know. I can see both sides. I can too. <laughs> Which hmm. is why this goes to the Supreme Court. Yeah, let them take care of it. Let them figure it out. Maybe they'll kick it down the street a bit. They, I don't know how you would kick it down the street as the Supreme well, they, Court. You are the end of the road. No, you you send it to the Galaxy Court. Oh, Galaxy Court. Yeah. Maybe Federation? It's like, yeah, it's like Night Court. Okay. The Federation. In other less important news, uh, this fall, yes. Mattel will introduce Hello Barbie. A Wi-Fi-enabled version of the iconic doll, which uses voice recognition system to analyze the child's speech and produce relevant responses. So a talking Barbie doll. Yes. Okay. So we have internet-connected fridges. Yes. Thermostats, other household items. So naturally, we're getting connected toys. And just like they're uh, web-connected to other web-connected devices that can amass details about their owners... And transmit that data to a remote location. It is then analyzed and sent back. And this is a little kid using a toy. Well, what that's, data? That's where the question is. What data are they going to get on the kid? Uh, the baby's still. The kid's still sitting there it's watching. It's just the uh, fact that there's, there's data. 
It has people worried. What they need, I'd be worried. They need a camera. Put a camera on that Barbie. <laughs> Just make it completely. <laughs> <laughs> this is it, but this is the big argument because everyone's like, the minute you start giving up your rights to privacy like this, Everyone's just getting more and more, you know, accustomed to just having even their Barbie spy on them and yes. accumulate data. Then what happens when your Barbie becomes self-aware? Exactly. Then you want to have like a tea party, and then just like I can't do that, Susan, and just like really creepy. It's really creepy. My, you just gave me the chills. My 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 little boy has a toy that goes off every once in a while. Oh yeah, don't you love that in the middle of the night? It says, "It'll say, it'll say give me a hug." <laughs> middle of the night, creepy. completely dark. It, its nose lights up, and it says, "Give me a hug." And You're my like, kid "Honey, just, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone." Just freaks the whole house out. That's the baby's toy. Because we have a monitor in his room, so of course we can hear it. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! Red rum. Red I mean, rum. one one we have my kid rolling over on Buzz Lightyear. So he starts screaming about, you know. To infinity and beyond at 3 in the morning. Yeah, it's crazy. Or his laser goes off or whatever. And then there's this dog across oh, the room. Those are the days. Talking about hugs. And you're like, what's going on? This is weird. <laughs> Something strange here. So, yeah. You, you, it's good. Watch the web-connected toys. They, if, yeah. if you're afraid of your child having connection to a computer server somewhere right. that's recording what she says. Because that's how they build up these programs is all the interaction. It's the right. same thing on your phone with Siri oh, yeah. on the iPhone. Yeah, yeah, totally. You talk into Siri, it records all this stuff and gets better at the responses, and that's how Barbie's going to work. And that's how Barbie takes over the world. Right, because it learns. And how we've learned in the past, too, is that if it has a computer in it, that means it can get hacked. Yes. So it can even get malware and start sending uh, junk email. Yes, just like what? that fridge. What if my Barbie gets full of junk email? There you go. Uh, and one last story. Yes. One that I think you should talk to Sports Nation about. What? Marvel. Yes. The comic book, movie, and toy empire uh, has joined forces with a men's fashion website to produce a line of clothing which is described as a series of elevated and competent men's apparel capsule collection that bring together Marvel's iconic legacy, superhero characters, and storytelling with fashion forward innovation. <laughs> Jeez. That's the PR spin. Consisting of outerwear, dress shirts, graphic tees, and accessories. Is that a Tommy Hilfiger you're wearing? No. Nope. It's, a, it's a Marvel. It's a Tony Stark exclusive. It's a Tony Stark exclusive. <laughs> Iron Man. It will be available April 1st. Wow. I, that's This is a good idea. I think it's this is this is what oh, this, just, so this, just branding. I mean, you can get the, the Matt Townsend. But so, what are some of the brands yeah. that Marvel owns? Spider Man. Yeah. So uh, is Batman in there? No, he's DC. He's DC. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Superman. DC. DC. Okay. So just Spider Man. Spider Man, Iron Man, Captain uh, America, Hulk. the Hulk. See, okay. the Hulk has got those purple pants. Those are those See, are good. You People guys don't, don't want remember those. this, but there used to be a thing called um, Granimals. I remember those you tough remember skins, tough skins, and stuff yeah. like that. But but you also remember you could get like uh, underwear that was. Underoos. Underoos. Yeah. Underoos. Yeah, I had those. James still has them. That's where my love of Green Lantern came from, and then everyone looked you like Green So Lantern? all this really is, is underoos gone awry? Well, except it, what they're saying is it'll be like a suit, and then you open the coat, and inside the suit you'll have the Avenger yeah, logo. but again, it's just underoos. But it's more subtle and looks professional. Well, sure, you can wear it to work, but in your heart you know you're just wearing your underoos. Well, yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> That's just weird. Oh, well, Marvel's trying to make a buck.
Movies, comic books, toys, and now apparel. Clothing. Mm. But clothing for executives. Maybe that'll help. Maybe that will lift the economy. Superhero wardrobes. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, we're going to be discussing the uh, failure and letting your your child fail. Do you feel like we have too much of a culture where we just want everyone to succeed? And is that is that impeding our children from learning what they need to learn? We'll find out with an expert up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody. It doesn't matter who's wrong or right, according to Dr. Michael Jackson. Hey, folks, have you ever uh, wondered if everybody should get a trophy? I mean, I know you want everyone to feel great, right? They just tried to, you know, score a goal. That cute little soccer game where the kids just run around in a little ball of humanity, chasing a ball. And yet, in the end, maybe having everyone win isn't always the best thing for psychological growth. Dr. Dr. Lara Mealy Pasco is joining us, and she uh, is she's going to talk to us a little bit about this because there might be some benefits to actually allowing the disappointments that come and and the failures that actually happen and helping our children cope with those instead of just assuming everybody gets a trophy. Dr. Mealy Pasco holds a doctorate in sports psychology, a master's in education, and an undergraduate degree in exercise science and physical education. She um, specializes in sports psychology and is a seasoned athlete in Division I basketball at, and played, I guess, in Division One basketball at Arizona State, the Women's Professional Football League. Um, she also works. These are some of the groups, I guess, that she works with. Dr. Mealy Pasco, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Great to have you. And uh, I really, really uh, love what I'm I'm learning. <laughs> this this article that um, is about the importance of failure. You, because we hear about it all the time, and I, I've always wondered with my own kids: Am I setting them up for future pain if they never learn to deal with failure and loss when they're younger? But according to this article that you wrote, yeah, we probably are. I believe so. I believe that allowing children to not understand what it feels like to fail or what it feels like to lose a game um, can be a detriment later on. How are we expected to work hard for things if everything is given to us? And that's, that's kind of the message I was trying to send with it. You know, when children participate in sports, it's not just about the sport. and about It's about winning and losing and everything that goes with it, but it's also about how it translates into your life. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's what – if we only make it about everyone has to win, we forget all of the other 50 lessons that are going on. Right. It's, it's well, not just about winning and losing. It's about how winning and losing and everything else translates into later life. Well, absolutely. You know, when you talk about praising athletes for you know, doing a good job, not only praising them for what they did right, you can praise them and say what they did wrong in a, in a good way. Uh-huh. So I think that my article could also be misconstrued as, 
you know, let's play tough love on these children and, you know, they have to take, you know, the school of hard knocks. And that's not necessarily the direction that I'm going with that. Basically, children need to learn how to lose and they need to learn how to win. And when they are praised for certain things, it's not just the praise, it's praise them for what they did and how they did it. Basically, their strategy. Mm. So they can understand the components of learning and um, competing and also what it feels like to lose and why they lost. Yeah. So it's all wrapped up in one big message. And, and really, um, this, this is a process. You're, you know and understand as a sports psychologist and, and a kind of a personal training expert, you, there's a psychology to this that we can we can correct behavior. It's not like we just – let everyone be, you know, not learn the skills, but and we don't. It's not a. It's not an either or. It's not good or bad. It's you. We've got to learn that there's a process of training people to be better. That's correct. You want to train these when when you know youth sports sometimes can be. It depends. It can be overwhelming for certain children, especially when they first step on a field, and the the art of progression and baby steps. You know, and you can simplify things and modify things for for these children, but they also need to understand that if they don't do it right, then you just, you know, you try it again. It doesn't mean they're not going to be successful. Mm -hmm. They may not be successful maybe in that specific sport. Yeah. They may, and they may learn that they want to try something else. But what you try to teach them is if they fail, why they failed so they can work harder. The whole idea is to not coddle children so when they turn into teenagers and they turn into their 20s and they say, well, what's in it for me? Right. Why didn't I receive anything? And I believe that in society over the last 15 years, there's this sense of entitlement. Yeah. No, I think you're you know? right. I, I agree. And failure, talk about failure a little bit more. How, how have you seen in your experience that the kids striking out, you know, in that game-winning opportunity – how does that benefit him long term? Well, there's that's a two prong question, and I'll and I'll start with the the first prong. When a child strikes out and they sulk and they put their head down, the first thing you want to do is encourage them and let them know, you know, you can do this, and that's where the psychology of it comes in. You got this. You can do this. You know, and then let them know afterwards, you know, what they didn't do right, or introduce it again in practice of, oh, you didn't swing this way, or you weren't looking at the ball. So they understand exactly why. Yeah. So that failure can translate into motivation. Yeah. That they want to do better, not that they feel bad about themselves, because quite often, people won't pay attention who are coaching. Some sometimes, not everyone, but they won't pay attention to the kids who need a little bit of extra help, and they focus on their their stud athletes, so to speak. Yeah. And they don't focus on the children who fail. And, and failing is so important because without failure, there's no, I always say there's no hope. You know, there's no, there's no silver lining. Mm -hmm. you, you have to fail sometimes because you have to fail in order to know uh, the sweet taste of success when you finally get there. You will get there because you have to fail sometimes. You have to stumble before you walk. Yeah. No, in fact, and, in, even just looking at the NCAA tournament, the men's tournament right now, you have an undefeated team. You as a sports psychologist, would you rather go into the, the tournament with a loss that all of your people can remember or undefeated? I'd rather a loss that they can remember yeah. because it's, you can always learn something from failure. You can always learn something from a loss. And 
that's and that's almost a monkey on their back. Right. You talk about psychology, that yeah. anxiety. You know, we can't lose. We can't lose. We've made it this far. You know, we haven't lost any games. And then you have athletes who have superstitions. You know, are we going <laughs> to lose a game? And whatever can go through their heads. Right. So no, I much rather, and I've coached basketball for years as well, and um, I much rather my team going in with a loss, especially a hard loss. Yeah. So they know what it feels like, and they never want to feel that again. And again, to understand why they didn't do so well and what they need to do better, because that's the, that's the most important thing about failure is to understand why you failed mm-hmm. so you can succeed. It seems like some kids are better uh, tooled to handle failure. Um, like I'll see some children that play with my kids and somebody steals a ball from them. And that little moment of failure, they it just motivates them, and they go get that ball back. I see others that just collapse and <laughs> fall apart, and they start crying and call it. You know, they flop and call a foul. And um, what's the difference? Is, is it is it coaching? Is some of this just instinctive? I think, again, that's a little bit of both. I think, one, it comes from home and how if the child is coddled, and some children are given everything. Yeah. And unfortunately, um, those are some of those, the parents who are always pushing for everybody gets a trophy, yeah. you know, because they want to make sure that their child is successful so badly. And then some of it, I don't, I wouldn't really say it is the coaching. It depends on how the coach is handling the, the, the kids like the parent. You know, definitely you're going to see kids who are like, man, you just stole that ball from me. I'm going to go get it back. Yeah. And then you have the other kid who's like, oh, my God, they stole the ball. What am I going to do? And they shut down, you know, and that's the child where you have to say, come on, you, can, you got this. You can do it. And you got to push them and motivate them. And, and if they can't handle it, you expl- ask them what, why they felt the way they felt. Yeah. And then but I do believe there is an, an innate hunger from certain children. I do believe it can be instinctive. Do I believe it can be taught? Yes. When I was growing up playing sports, I wasn't always the best. And I didn't like it, and I didn't like the way it felt. I can still remember losing in the fifth grade in the championship, <laughs> crying for days when we lost this basketball championship to a you know, two points shot at the, at the buzzer, uh, and we lost. And it was devastating at that age. Fifth grade. But I also remember not being the best player and saying, well, next year, that's not going to happen because I'm going to score more points and we're going to win. And I think I also learned the behavior, but I think I also was brought up with a little bit more of that instinctive um, kind of killer instinct. Yeah, yeah. You see, it's funny because I look at my kids and they just don't have it. We don't have (laughs) – we're lovers, not fighters. And so mine are always helping everyone else up and they're kind of like the – I don't know, the cruise director of the team. But it's um, and I love him to death. But you're like, just rip his throat out. <laughs> and I'm I'm trying to get him to get it, but they just don't get it. Um, we're talking with uh, Dr. Lara Mealy Pasco. She's teaching us about failure, and and maybe we just need to encourage our children to 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 have that experience of failure, and it will in the end help help grow character. It won't always get them the trophy. And maybe they shouldn't always get the trophy. But in the end, they can walk away with the character and uh, just the great principles they need um, that, are, that are there, that are there to be taken when you're playing these sports. We're going to take a break when we come back more with Dr. Lara Mealy Pasco. Again, failure, folks. Let's, uh, let's allow a little bit more of it in our lives, believe it or not. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I can just see my kids getting ready, playing this music, getting ready for their big game. My kids, they want the headbands. They want the wristbands. They've got everything you need except the skills. They got that from their father. It's so interesting. There's such a culture around sports and athletics. And, you know, my kids are good, but you. I then look at these uh, – I look at these – Kids whose parents are like obvious athletes, you know, unbelievable. Just the just they'll just run right into four people and dive on a ball. Not me, not my kids. We're just smarter than that. That's how people get hurt. We're talking today about failure and um, maybe this concept of we, we want everyone to be happy. We want everyone to just have a good time and everyone gets a trophy. But in the end, we might even be discouraging risk and discouraging some growth simply because we don't allow our child to, to experience failure in life. Dr. Mealy Pasco, Laura Mealy Pasco, is joining us. She's a sports psychologist. She works with Division I basketball uh, teams, Arizona State, uh, also has worked with the Women's Professional Football League, and was also um, has worked with the New York Golden Gloves semifinalist in 2004. She's a sports psychologist. She knows what she's talking about, and she wrote an article about the importance of failure and a culture of false success if we're just sitting there giving everyone a trophy. Uh, Dr. Lara Mealy Pasco, welcome back to the show. Thanks. It's great to have you. Uh, now, what do we do? What do we do? So we want we want to give them the full range of experiences. We want them to succeed and allow them to fail, and we want to also process their failures. I'm assuming. What else do we need to do to make sure that it's just not traumatic? Or does you know? I mean, as a kid, I don't think our, my coaches were into sports psychology. <laughs> And they really weren't. I mean, it was well. They may have been like when I was on the pitching mound. They'd try to, you know, freeze me out or something. But in the end, uh, it seems like it's we've taken it to a whole new level today. Well, I think it's very tough when you start from very early on with youth sports because you have usually a volunteer parent who comes in and they start coaching, you know, the, the children. Yeah. And they may not know much about sports, but they're the parent who has the most availability, so they do the best that they can. So, you know, sports psychology is probably null and void. <laughs> but, you know, as they get older and it gets more competitive and you have these um, travel teams and the parents are paying an exorbitant amount of money for their children to be on these teams, there's a little bit more pressure and a little bit more pressure on the coach to play children because the parents are paying into it. Again, and that's where this everyone should get a a medal kind of ideology, I I believe, began with Mm. the travel teams, you know. But you have the travel teams the parents pay for that the kids also have to try out for. So you have ones where they try out and ones they don't. And And why I'm foreshadowing ahead to this is in youth sports, if we don't allow them to be coached, um, to the rules, and mod- and if we have to modify them just a little, that's okay. Yeah. But they still have to experience that failure. So when they do, uh, when they become the ripe age of ten and twelve, and they have to try out for one of these travel teams, then it's not a shock that they didn't make the team. Uh huh. You know, we have to prepare them that in life it's competitive, and it takes certain um, initiative and certain practice and um, discipline to want to play on a team and want to play on different sports. 
And that starts early on, and that's what coaches need to do. And it's not necessarily something that they need to know about sports psychology. It's just basically how to teach them, listen, it's going to be very competitive when you get older, so we need you to try a little harder if you, if you love the game. Mm-hmm. And well, that's the thing you have to do, because we don't want them to lose the love for the game because they're failing. We want right. them to be more successful and want to do it. Yeah. I mean, was it you that told the story about your daughter running from second to third base? <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> This is a great. This is a great story. Yeah. Um, it was my first time coaching U eight. I'm always a varsity oh, coach. Oh, you were coaching too. Okay, that makes the story even better. Do- I was coaching my daughter's U eight team last year. Yeah. I live out in Pennsylvania, and I wasn't aware of these modified rules. So I was told it was the first game, and um, she was running. To, she was rounding second, going down to third. <laughs> And uh, it's a pretty big deal if these kids make a play at this age because they're six, yeah. seven, and eight years it's old. Totally, yeah, random. Yeah, so she's running like a sloth, and my daughter's <laughs> actually very fast. She's very athletic, but she doesn't have that heart like you said. Oh, my kids, whatever. My right. daughter the same. I have two daughters. One is four. One is seven. The four-year-old wants to barrel everybody over, <laughs> and the seven-year-old is like, "Yeah, who cares?" But my seven-year-old has the athletic ability and the body, and my four-year-old doesn't really have oh, it so much. I know. So, I mean, a third kid maybe would have been different. That's right. One so, more. Getting back to the story, so she's rounding second. She's she's running like a sloth, and she gets thrown out at third by kids who can't even catch the ball. <laughs> so, um, we're not supposed to have the kids tagged out at the base. And I'm like, uh, Madison, you're out. <laughs> you're out. And the parents were like, <gasps> no, keep you know? her on the and base. I go, she's my, I go, she's my kid. She's out. And she looked at me. I said, baby, you have to run a little faster because the whole idea about the game is that you have is to get great. There before the ball gets there. Yeah. So the next time she got on base or she hit the ball, she ran like her hair was on fire. Yep. There was no, you know, and right there, it was motivation. I didn't yell at her. I told her what she did wrong. Right. And that was it. But all the parents were like in shock. I can't believe you did that. No, yeah, I love you know that. What? The next games, they started asking me, well, can you not do that with my child? Or can you, uh-huh. you know, modify the pitches? Because they had to have 13 pitches. And some of the parents were like, well, can you only do 10? And then they're out. <laughs> so it was getting better. So it was catching on. I and love then it. the other coaches that you play against would come in and say, okay, what rules are we using? And I'm going to say, I don't know about the rules you use. But these children have modified rules, but they will be tagged out, it's and great. they will learn how to play the game properly. I mean, even if you start with a modified rule, but by the end of the season, you're in the full rule set. I mean, you can you can migrate the rules up, and, and, and you know, with their age. But isn't it interesting too that the parents they want that same thing? I love that story because I'm sitting here. I, I didn't know you were the coach. I thought yeah. you were just a really mean parent. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? It was perfect because I've wanted so I guess my I'm kids. I'm a really mean coach then. <laughs> no, but what you were, though, but you, you were on the – I was wondering if you were just yelling from the sideline. But you were on the field, and you then taught the moment, and your daughter learned to, to really deliver the goods. Hey, we got about a minute left, and I want to know what, what – if there's one thing we should focus on when it comes to being a parent and coaching our children through failure, what's that one thing we should focus on? Encouragement encouragement and letting them know what what they did wrong and what they do right encourage them for what they do yeah and and, and do right and wrong and, and yeah, or what I mean, it would look like yeah 
and what it would look like. Correct the wrong behavior, but let them know it's okay. You tried. The bottom line is we want our kids to be successful because they want to try. We want to motivate them to want to be better. That's what it boils down to in failure. You want to be better, and sometimes you'll fail, and then you'll get back up and you can do better. Sure. But we have to encourage them to want to be better. Love and it. That's what the whole failure uh, comes into play with it. So. Uh, Laura Mealy Pasco, so appreciate you and your great work. I mean, really, it's, it's a little controversial of a topic, but honestly, it's the real deal. And to have an expert like you be able to, to walk us through it, perfect. Um, we so appreciate it. Go check out Psychology Today, and you can look up uh, Lara Mealy Pasco and get the article plus everything else she's been writing. Uh, just a wonderful resource. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, find out what's going to be on their show a little bit later. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. That's the hoedown music, which means it's time to get down to the barn. Let's see a couple of our uh, cowboys down there. Spencer Linton, Jerem Jordan, BYU Sports Nation. How's the barn, boys? Did you know that Jerem is a master of making animal noises? No. If you hadn't figured that out already. That's through not the, true. The donkey. That's not do true. Your, do You're your crow. Do your crow. See? Wow. It's a crow. Come on. That's amazing, huh? That is amazing. It made me right then I wanted to like pull a shotgun out. Pull! <laughs> 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 How great would that be? Hey, right before we came on the air, somebody uh whispered into the microphone, I love you. Oh yep, that was me. <laughs> I was talking to my producer Ben Bagley. Okay, I was like I was I just wanted to clarify. Was that I love for me? you too, Matt. Okay, I felt good. But I mean you already know that, so uh, hey, I uh, never mind. I met a really good fan of yours yesterday. I think I talked to you guys about her yesterday. Um, oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, she called. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sending her down. Radio don't work, do I'm, No. I'm going to send her down. I'm going to send her down to the studio intern. later today. Intern. Yeah. You'll have a new intern. I'm out of this. Hey, did you guys hear something really interesting about the cookie? There's a, there's a, sh- a cookie recall going on with the Silver Lake Cookie Company. A cookie recall? Mm-hmm. I can't believe it. They make Easter egg cookies, like in the cookies in the shape of an Easter egg. Okay. They had Apparently to recall. They failed? Them. No, yeah, guess why? Because the cookies contain eggs. Oh. For real. Oh. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. An egg what? cookie contained eggs. What and are they doing? I don't know. It's crazy. But it runs the risk. You know, that could kill people. Yeah. Whatever. Like, we laugh, but like, that's just, huh? That's not funny if you've got like an egg allergy. Or, Hilarious. Uh, oh, my goodness. Anyway. Uh, hey, well, happy Easter on that note. Yeah, not to be a downer. But uh, did you hear about Marvel, what Marvel Comics is doing now? I no, thought Jer- you guys. Jer- you just got Jerem's, like, full attention, okay. 120%. Jerem, sit up, my friend. You're going to love this. Marvel Comics, they're, they're basically going to now produce a men's fashion line hmm? of men's clothing. Of tights? No. So you remember Underoos. Yes, I remember those. So I don't. now, what basically what's happening is they're going to put together a clothing line called the Marvel's Iconic Legacy Superhero Characters, and you can now have a, like a really nice suit to wear. But and it won't look like you know an Iron Man t- clothing suit. But inside the label will be 
Iron Man. <laughs> so it's kind of like you used to feel when you wore your underoos. No one could tell you had underoos on, but deep, deep, deep down. You knew down, you were Superman. You, you knew, knew you were Superman. You had special powers. <laughs> yes. But it's going to have dress shirts, graphic tees, nice stuff. You know. Okay. And I How thought of you, Jerry. How expensive is this I'll make sure to stuff? find all of this at Gen X six months from now. Exactly. This will be. This is how we grow up, though. I don't know how expensive it'll be, but I, I'm going to bet it will lead to a lot of people, you know, being injured, thinking <laughs> that they're actually a superhero and that like a coat could take a bullet. It's not good. Not yeah, good. Yeah. Good luck with that. Hey, what uh, you guys are? You guys still doing your show? Yeah. Nothing as interesting as Underoos and yeah. Marvel comic. You know. You know Gear, suits, That's whatever. why we're here. But we do have this. BYU loses an, a basketball assistant coach who was the man. Uh. Mark, Mark Pope is headed to Utah Valley University to take over the head coaching position there. And he leaves a huge vacancy. In our hearts and on the staff. <sighs> he was best friends with Jerem. Oh, wow. <laughs> we weren't best friends. <laughs> were they <laughs> besties? But he seriously, he, he's a guy that has NBA experience. He guarded Kobe Bryant, true story. He won a national championship at the University of Kentucky. He wow. had coaching experience in the SEC and the ACC. He was at BYU for four years. And Jerem, three weeks ago, while we were in Las Vegas, called it. We, we just finished talking to Mark on the phone, and he said, he's a head coach that just so happens to be an assistant coach at BYU right now. And sure enough, three weeks later, he has a head coaching job. Oh, that's not good. So it, we're excited for him. That's no, it's great. good for him. It is. Yeah. And he's down the street. But it, it's a bummer because he was a uh, – tremendous asset for the BYU coaching staff. So we'll, we'll tell you some names of guys who could be in the mix mm. for the position. Yeah, he was a great recruiter, you know, just a great basketball mind and a, and a great person to be around. Like he, he was a player's coach. coach like players loved him. That's, and, and then the real deal. Plus you could always draw back on the Kobe guarding days. Yeah, and he guarded Kobe. You know what? I once guarded Dan Rather. <laughs> in what? I can't tell you. <laughs> That's kind of private. Apparently not. You brought it up. You know what's funny is professionally, like being on the radios, you don't, you can't say, yeah, I guarded Kobe because that, you know, you guys could because you're in sports. I just, who's my icon? Dan Rather. Dan Rather. <laughs> sad. What an icon. It's sad, boys, but <laughs> it's totally, totally true. Hey, um, Jerem, so you're going to get free tickets, I'm sure, to UVU games now. Best friend, Mark Pope. I probably won't be going to those games. Okay. Way to keep it clean. Yeah. What kind of a friend are you? Maybe could you I get- never claimed to have such <laughs> friendship. Just hey, Jerem, could you get me some tickets from your best friend? Yeah. We can work that out. There you okay. go. Thanks. We whatever can work that whatever out. you need, man. You guys are the best. So I know uh, a guy. I, I know you do. I hear you're best friends with him. I'm not coach Mark friends Pope. Friends with him. He's a coach. He's besties. <laughs> uh okay, guys, have a great show. Yeah, say what's up to our intern for us as well. I will. No, I, I won't even have to say it because I'm sending her down there. Okay. That's just from Spencer. It's not from me. Whatever. It's from Well, Sarah. she's there for both of you. <laughs> no, no, thank you. <laughs> anyway, I'm here to serve. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. All right, man. Good luck to Bye. you. Bye-bye. <laughs> I'm getting them interns now. That's just what I do because I care so much. I'm out looking for interns for – BYU Sports Nation. Hey, did you hear this? Here's the miracle of the, of the day story. We always like to, you know, leave you with some hope. Here's a miracle story. Did you hear about this Pennsylvania man? He's recovering from surgery. He had a hernia. Which, why are you laughing, James? I don't know. Just still reliving the past. Like the, the, the recent past? Yeah. Okay. 
Okay, well, just see if you like this. No, no, whatever. It's just like you're laughing your little head off. (laughs) So a Pennsylvania man is recovering from surgery. Uh, He had just undergone hernia surgery, and his dad came to visit. And so what would you bring your son? James, if you love your son and and you're going to his hospital room after hernia surgery, what would you bring him? Probably $5,000 in 10s and 20s, small bills and traceable. Wow. You must not love him very much. Why? Because this dad brought him a a card, a get well card. In the card, he just put a lottery ticket, handed him the card. The guy, after surgery, scratches off his card and wins $7 million in the golden ticket lotto. He scratched the ticket, he said. It was a good thing. I was already sitting down. By the way, when you have a hernia, you don't want to, like, get all excited or your innards will become your outards. And uh, anyway, he couldn't believe it. So he called his wife. He kind of jumped up and down, you know, as much as you can with a hernia. And he called his wife and uh, said, honey, I think we just won $7 million. And then there was silence on the other end of the law on the line. And she was just done. She couldn't talk. So this cute little couple, now they're multimillionaires. They both, by the way, plan to keep their jobs. And uh, apparently the guy now that he has $7 million, he's got four more other surgeries planned for other things. I just added that. So you gave $5,000, but if you really loved your child, you'd give him a lotto ticket worth $7 million. But, it, I mean, it was lucky that it was actually he won. Was it luck, James? Well, I mean, like, what what would have happened if it was zero dollars? He's effectively giving his son zero dollars. Well, isn't it really the thought that counts? I tried to give you a multi-million dollar lotto ticket. Oh, okay. That was my intent. So from here on out, I should give people in birthday cards, et cetera, yeah. a lotto ticket. So they have the opportunity to maybe get, like, $500 million. Yeah, but you live in a state where we don't do the lotto, so you're messed. You can't win. I just give them five grand. Okay. Anyway, what a day. Folks, we've learned so much today. James, what's your favorite lesson of the day? We learned a lot from sleep. I like how we don't have to treat everyone like a winner. <laughs> that I, means... I don't think that was the lesson. Yeah, that, that was... The lesson that was, was lesson. you can allow your kids to fail, right? Okay, okay. Yes, yeah, you essentially... It's not like you don't have to treat everyone like it, a winner. It's all semantics. It's all it's, the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're yeah. arguing semantics. I am, but I just I don't want you to I don't want you or the listeners to go away just thinking you can treat people poorly, <laughs> like losers, like losers. <laughs> you loser. <laughs> I remember the spelling bee. They used to line us up and we do these flashcards. I'll never forget with my teacher and oh, I hated this lady because of this. And um, so if you get it right, you know you stay in. If you get it wrong, you're out. And I remember she would she would uh, I I missed the flashcard. I think it was times tables we were doing, not a spelling bee. It was times tables. And I got it wrong. And she said, losers to the right. And I was like, oh, jeez, I'm a loser. Loser. And right then is when I got my first complex that Townsends don't do math. During a spelling bee uh, in elementary school, a kid spelled a a word wrong Uh and threw a desk (laughs) across the room. It was see, an emotional moment. See, but that's a, that's the perfect reason why we need to let our children fail more. Because if he had failed in other bees or other experiences, doesn't just have to be with the bee. 
I think he probably wouldn't have needed to throw a table or yeah. a chair. Yeah, that's true. <sighs> Failure. It does a body good. We also talked about um, uh, sleep. You need about seven, seven to eight hours of sleep a day. Some other advice that I loved, no caffeine after two or three. You shouldn't be caffeinating your body after two or three. It's going to stay with you. And also don't turn on any devices after an hour before you're trying to go to bed because those cell phones, they all emit blue light and that blue light kind of messes you up. So we learned about that. And then we also learned about um, about baby boomers and how we just need to take back the power that we have as a baby boomer. Everybody's got something to offer. And one thing baby boomers, and not even just baby boomers, but anybody aging and, and getting you know older, we start to really you know feel bad and get into a funk. But the reality is you still got it, man. You still got it. But you got to go offer it. Um, that's the show. That's Remember, the goal of the show is to give you the tools to live longer, to love stronger, and to lead the ones you're with. So go and do. Get out and uh, take one of the lessons you've learned today, make it a part of your life, and see if you can't make things better. Remember, you're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. BYU Radio.